0: friends and fellow Buffy lovers and welcome to our podcast where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail focusing on digging deep into the themes metaphors and foreshadowing I'm Leah I'm Sarah I'm Tabby and this is Becoming Buffy
1: Hey friends, Sarah here. Normally this would be the part where we would jump straight into the episode. However, we wanted to take a moment to acknowledge and address what happened in the Buffyverse yesterday. For those of you who aren't aware, Charisma Carpenter, the actress who brilliantly portrayed Cordelia Chase, issued a statement accusing Joss Whedon of abusing his power on set and of creating a toxic and hostile work environment. She gave several specific examples of his harassment and abuse, and unfortunately, she isn't the only one. I speak for Tabby and Leah as well when I say we stand with charisma and applaud the courage and strength it must have taken to speak out, and that we are angered and saddened by Joss's behavior. We also wanted to let you know that you are about to hear us talk about Carl Ellsworth, the writer of Halloween, the following episode, and how Joss took his script and fired him immediately after. Although Carl has gone on record to say that he holds no ill will and understands why Joss fired him, and although we really don't know the details of what went down, the new information brought to us by Charisma has caused us to look at this incident differently than how we viewed it when we recorded the episode a few weeks ago. The girls and I will be addressing this issue in a bit more depth next week and how it will affect our analysis of Buffy moving forward. But until then, we just wanted to say thank you to Charisma and thank you to the rest of the amazingly talented cast that poured so much of themselves into this show that we love so much. It is for you and because of you that we continue to watch Buffy. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we were talking about one of my personal favorite episodes, probably in the entire series. I literally love this
0: episode. It's one of those episodes that um, is a really good standalone episode because, like, you could show this to someone and just to, like, show them, like, a taste of what Buffy is without giving away a lot of spoilers. But it also, like, really, really sets a lot of, like, groundwork for a lot of stuff that's going to come later on in the season, a lot of stuff that's going to come later on in the show. And so it's, like, I just feel, like, overall, it is a good combination of both like a casual one-time episode and a good overall plot episode. I know a lot of people who are obsessed with Buffy love to just kind of casually put on episodes. I've never been that person. I have to watch it in like order <sighs> just because I feel like so much happens and so many small things happen in each episode. They have to watch it in order in order to appreciate it. And this is one of the only episodes that I can genuinely do that and not feel like weird about it because like, Not a lot has happened with the characters that are being developed at that point. And like it's just a great standalone episode, which is what Leah just said. But yeah, it's just like (laughs) it's it's very nostalgic. It's very easy to watch. It's very sweet. And I don't know. It just feels like quintessential buffy and it makes me happy.
1: Yeah, it's like before the season really ramps up and stuff starts going down, the gang is still very innocent and I don't know. Yeah. It's a really mm-hmm. fun episode too. I think this has got to be one of my top. I'm going to say 10, but it's probably 20 just because how can you pick a favorite Buffy episode? <laughs> you know,
0: That's crazy. See, I, I really like this episode too, but I don't think I could put this in my top 10. I feel like my top 10 is like my holy grail don't touch list. Like, yeah. Undeniably just amazing. And I think this one's amazing too, but I just couldn't put it in top
1: 10. I don't know. Maybe it's in my top 10 like Episodes I just like to watch just because it's a yeah, fun episode and fair. it doesn't it because isn't too deep or anything. I you know? feel
0: like there's certain episodes in the show. Obviously, we won't spoil anything that I think that are <laughs> j- objectively wonderfully amazing episodes that just like completely turn the whole show like upside down in a very very good way. And would they make my top ten list? A hundred percent. Do I really want to sit down and emotionally get wrecked yeah. every single time I watch those? That's what I was thinking. No. Too. But are they objectively just amazing episodes? Yeah. Yeah. My top 10 are all really emotional, like really great episodes, but I would not just be like, I'm going to casually put on this episode to wreck myself. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, and speaking of not spoiling anything, for those of you who are new or are returning, either way, this is the spoiler-free section, and we'll be having our Scooby secret section, which is our spoiler full section at the end of the episode. So stay tuned for that if you want to know all the secrets of the entire Buffyverse. And if you don't, then feel free to go ahead and skip that section. But yeah. Okay, so season two, episode six. Halloween. And this episode right off the bat is pretty interesting because it was written by Carl Ellsworth, who has never written anything in the Buffyverse before this and also never wrote anything after because when he wrote this script, he got called into Joss Whedon's office and Joss Whedon was like, hey, so we're going to take your script. Thanks for that. Um, You're fired, (laughs) which cracks me up every time.
0: I would never recover. If someone was like, we really liked your idea, we just didn't like how you did it, so we're going to take it, I think I would quit. Or just like even just taking his script and then being like, thank you. All right, goodbye. Like that's got to be like, well, dang, can I have my
1: script then? <laughs> I know. No, I mean like it's technically their property like when they write a script I'm and kidding. stuff and submit it. Yeah. No, and I don't think Joss was mean about it. And the way that Carl talks about it is he has no – ill will. There's no hard feelings. He just says that he was not able to capture the tone of these teenage mm-hmm. voices. He wrote to adults for them. And so it just didn't work out and he understands. But he credits this as like his worst career day ever.
0: <laughs> it would be for mine too.
1: Seriously, yeah, but at least you don't blame him at he still to use his
0: script though. He still has that on record.
1: Yeah. But I wonder how much of it is his actual original script because Joss was known to go back and kind of like Joss change his a lot of things. Joss like, me. Yeah, (laughs) like not this, not this. Carl's like watching it going, wait a minute. But he went on to write for X-Files and Xenia and all this other stuff. So I think he's doing well for himself. Poor Carl. You will be remembered. (laughs) All right. And it was directed by Bruce Seth Green, who we've seen a couple times now. And it aired October 27th, 1997, which makes sense. Halloween. So Before we jump into it, I also wanted to talk about the lore a little bit. They kind of twisted a little bit. It's not quite what the Roman mythology, Greek mythology originally meant it to be. Um, the god Janus. They portray him as the god of kind of like dual nature in this episode, but in mythology, he's the god of beginnings, passageways, doorways, gateways, bridges. And so he actually is the guy that you, the guy <laughs> that you call up. And if you want to petition any other gods, you have to go through him first because hmm. he's the one that is, Kind of the gatekeeper That's for that. That's an awesome job. Yeah, I right know, right? But we get the word January from Janus or Janus or however you pronounce it um, J A N U S, January. I thought that was an interesting little bit of trivia. Hmm. And he frequently symbolizes change and transition, such as progress of past to future from one condition to another and young people's growth to adulthood. So I thought that was interesting that this episode or really this show Buffy is all about a transition to adulthood. Like we're looking at these characters in their adolescence and watching them struggle with what their identity is and who they're going to become. Um, he was worshiped at the beginnings of harvest and represented the middle ground between youth and adulthood, as we said before. So all that in, in mind, um, as we go through the episode, I think just remembering that they're trying to make a correlation between like dual nature and then also, um adolescence and stuff. I don't know. It's just an interesting thing to like think about. And and as I was watching the episode, having read that, I was like, oh, I kind of understand a little bit more their intents and the purpose behind how, why they wrote the characters the way they the way they did in this episode. I think it's interesting thinking about the Roman mythology with Giannis. I keep wanting to say yanis It's not yanis It's not Janus. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Janus.
0: <laughs> Could you imagine if it was? Because <laughs> then like um Ethan was just like I summon the Janus. <laughs> like, I, really, I think I would lose it. <laughs> I would not recover. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Really funny, <laughs> I open the Janus. Charles <laughs> <laughs> is standing there like, what?
1: Oh, my word. Oh, okay, anyway. So Yanis. I'm going to say Janus one more time in this episode. <laughs> I just know it. <laughs> Um, I think it's interesting that he's the god of doorways and gateways because the Hellmouth mouth is a literal Gateway a portal to hell. And so I think that that's an interesting metaphor. I also want to talk a little bit about how There's the division of self and how in this episode it becomes literal how buffy is tough on the outside But inside she wants angel to notice her and she also I think in a lot of ways doesn't really want the burden of Slayer. And so she desires to have other people fight the battles for her because it's a big burden for her to have to carry. And so it's kind of an escape in this episode. And then you have Xander who wants to fight battles like Buffy. And we've talked extensively about how he desires to be um what he views as manly and that is fighting and strong and all that stuff um and in this episode he actually becomes that and then willow shy and secure and desires to be beautiful and sexy on the outside as well and desirable maybe even for xander her and buffy you talk about that in this episode yeah so it, it's kind of interesting to see each of them actually transform into that yeah. and ha- what that does for their character development and growth moving forward
0: it's really interesting like what you decide to dress up as to kind of like get out of yourself, even though you try to be the opposite of who you are. It shows a lot about who you are as well. Um, When I think of like Sanders, like what you're saying, Sarah, about like him kind of like viewing himself as not that manly. I also see it as he wants like a role in the gang, And so he's kind Mm -hmm. of giving himself like a man-made superpower. So he's like, you know what? I like, I can, you know, be good at weaponry and like combat and like things like that and kind of have a role in that sense. Um, So it was really interesting to see him choosing that as well on like a different scale rather than just like masculinity. It's interesting around like Halloween time when it's like, oh girls, you know, you can be whatever you want and like girls will be, you know, sometimes sexy, sometimes whatever, sometimes funny. Like, whereas like I feel like a lot of times I always see like a lot of guy costumes, like, I'm going to be manly. I'm going yeah. to be a superhero mm-hmm. or like. And so it's obviously not everyone. That's such a general phrase. But I just mean like it's just very interesting to see Xander go for a very stereotypical masculine like costume when he could have just been like when it seems like more in him and Willow's friendship to be like something funny or something like mm-hmm. goofy.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because the conversation that I think Buffy and Willow have, I don't remember the exact verbiage used, but I know that Buffy was like, Hey, like Willow, Halloween is the time to be sexy. It's the time to dress as something that you aren't, but you want to be, or to get people to notice you. Like, And I think that a lot of people see Halloween as a time to be someone that they're not. It's a, it's a way to just have fun and put kind of that costume on and be like, Hey, I can pretend I'm not me for a day. And I think it's funny that they took that literally in this episode. Mm-hmm. And it's, so clever to find out that Giles's librarian costume is not who he actually is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was about to say, I was like, if, even though he's
0: not putting on a costume, we we find out that there's like more to him. So he's been like, you know, kind of showing a different side of him to them when he has more that he hasn't told them,
1: which we will find out more yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about that when we get to it, but yeah, you're right tabs. And I should correct my statement. It's not a costume that he's putting on. Cause Ethan rain even like mocks him mm-hmm. for that. And Giles is like, that's not a costume. This is who I am. Yeah. And I think it's Yeah, I think that's interesting and we'll dissect it when we get there. But as we're going through the episode, for those of you who are listening and if you are going to rewatch the episode, watch for these little things and you'll notice the dialogue is very intentional in leading the audience and leading the characters through kind of a little bit of self-discovery through the episode. It's just interesting. Um, Oh, and the other thing I wanted to say is they talk about Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice again in here. And this is the same play that was mentioned in Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Um, And I think that's interesting because in Out of Mind, Out of Sight, it's the one that the teacher's lecturing with inside of Mm -hmm. the room. And you're talking about how people become invisible when they don't feel seen. And in this episode, it's about people putting Mm -hmm. on a costume because they want to be seen a specific way.
0: Dang, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, it is. I think it's really interesting because Cordelia is the only one who puts on a costume and remains her actual self. And inside of Out of Mind, Out of Sight, she's the one that's talking to the teacher and is very confident, maybe even too confident in her flawed self. And I think that's consistent with who she is in this episode too. absolutely. So anyway, now that we've done that extensive dissection and beginning to the episode, we will jump in. (laughs) Okay, this opening
0: scene, I wrote down so many notes by like... I. Always forget the transition from like the fighting from the first season to the second season. And yes, this is like se- or episode six in the second season. But the fighting is like so much better. And this scene, I was like, dang! Like the the stunt double who did Buffy, like she wrapped her legs around the vamp's neck and then like spun him around. The vamp, I feel like he was a ballerina. He was so graceful with his kicking. Like, this is so interesting to look at. Like their fighting scene was like I couldn't look away. I was like, this is so cool. I love this scene, and I love how, like, I, I mean, we find out later, but, like, I love the fact that, like, Spike is, like, the one who's, like, filming. now he's not filming it, but he sends a little groupie to film it and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just think that it's interesting that this isn't, like, a crazy good fight for Ruffy. Like, this is just her normal night. Yeah. Like, this is how she fights. And this no one's is, like, looking. No one's watching. She's not mm-hmm. doing it for a show. She doesn't know no anyone's filming her. And so it's, like, I just love that this is just who she is that she's like resourceful. She thinks on her feet. Like I wrote that down multiple times in the scene. Like at one point she gets pushed up against the hay wagon and like, she pushes her weight off of the hay wagon, hay, yeah. hay wagon. hay <laughs> wagon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> hay wagon. And like kind of launches at the guy. And then like later uses the um post and stakes mm-hmm. him. And so there was like multiple times where she was using her environment around her mm-hmm. to help her. And I just was like, that's so intelligent. Well, even Spike says that like, he's like critiquing her video and he's like, wow, very resourceful.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is also interesting too because Spike sent, I mean, we don't see on screen, but he sent these two vampires knowing one of them's going to die. And we saw him back in school hard. He told that guy, get something to eat and then he knowing that he's going to get staked by buffy. I think it's just interesting that Spike has no problem mm-hmm. using his minions, his vampire guys as bait for buffy. It just kind of shows a very cold-hearted villain and I'm excited to see more.
0: Yeah, and I think it's it's also like the overlying thing of like from what we've seen of Spike he just seems like someone who just very much like enjoys chaos and enjoys like just kind of the madness that is doesn't care and about he the doesn't rules. really care about the rules or the consequences mm-hmm. as long as he's getting what he wants he will do what he wants and so I think that it's just very interesting to see that because I feel like the master was just kind of like weird in a way that he was like had this weird loyalty to like his people he um, was
1: traditional and we see spike just being like to yeah. heck with tradition
0: yeah I think that that's a good way of putting it like Spike is very untraditional. And so it's like, I love how they have a villain this season that is like complete opposite to one we've already seen. So they're giving us something new.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to be a broken record probably for, you know, the rest of the time that Christoph Beck is on Buffy, but the music in this scene is really good. The music Mm -hmm. in this entire episode is really good. Like there's a bunch of strings going on in this particular fight and it's very um, suspenseful, but it also feels a little Halloweeny. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to describe it, you know? It's just really good and I love it. I'm here for it. So then back in the bronze, Angel and Buffy are having their coffee date I know, I know. that they the, the one that they agreed like, upon. Oh, yeah. I mean,
0: they they tried. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's so cute seeing like Angel's just kind of sitting there like awkward. <laughs> he's so out of his <laughs> element. He really doesn't know what he's doing. And then like Cordelia shows up and I've never seen someone be so uninterested in a conversation.
1: I know. I think. Yeah. At least initially, he looks like he's trying to be polite.
0: Mm -hmm. It's funny because I've seen scenes like this in different shows where it's like, oh, the girl comes in and then sees like the guy that she likes talking to somebody who's a threat, and then they think it's something like worse than it actually is. But most of the time, it's like they actually are kind of flirting, and like there are there is some sort of like tension there, and then they're like, oh, and then they storm away. But in this scene, like there was literally nothing going on. It was just like he was sitting there and Cordelia was like rambling about some boy that she was dating. Yeah. And then he just was like laughing. He just was like, you're ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, this is stupid. Well, And I like that it wasn't blown out of proportion because like I know that, you know, shows have to make drama and all that. But one of my biggest puppies in shows is when like couples break up or they don't get together or there's some big fight about like just one miscommunication. And it's my biggest puppy if I'm like, just sit down, talk about it and listen to each other and neither of you will be mad. And so I like hate when that kind of stuff is like a huge plot line. And so I like the fact that it was like dealt with really quickly and Buffy had a bigger issue than him having coffee with like. Yeah, I think it wasn't necessarily like, I mean, I think what him talking to Cordelia kind of triggered it, but it wasn't necessarily Cordelia why she was upset. I think it was like them sitting there together kind of showed her that she can't really do that. She can't really have a life. She can't really date him normally. I mean, she's like dang like that sucks yeah she didn't even really mention cordelia when she was talking Mm -hmm. to him she literally was just being like i want to come here and sit and have coffee with you but you know i have to go and stake vampires and like roll around in the dirt and stuff and so i like that like it wasn't sitting her and she's being like ah he's talking to another girl it was like dang
1: i really just wish that was me i wish i had Mm -hmm. that
0: time i wish i had yeah that freedom
1: Yeah. Well, and a couple of things I wanted to point out. So once again, we see Angel wearing, do you notice he's not wearing his normal costume? Mm -hmm. He's wearing a light blue shirt. And I believe that's symbolizing his costume of wanting to be a real, I put a real boy, but like a real (laughs) human being, you know, (laughs) Pinocchio Angel. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) but he wants, he doesn't want to be a vampire. And so he's trying to appear as normal as possible because he's going to go on a date with a girl who wants normal. And I think it's interesting because Buffy comes in with the straw in her hair and is like, man, dang it. I don't, I don't match up to what you want angel. And he's there thinking I'm not what you want either, because I'm not, I'm not a real human. It's interesting. And then yeah, Cordelia love the hair just screams street urchin. And I also wanted to point out that when Buffy walks in, as soon as Angel sees her, his attention goes straight off of Cordelia. Oh, it's yeah. right on Buffy, and he like I think Cordelia is still talking when he like zooms over to Buffy to talk to her. Not only that, but when
0: she's talking to him, like Cordy is like facing him and laughing, and he's his body is still like facing the door, but he's like mm-hmm. leaning over to look at her. Like his body language shows a lot when you're talking to somebody. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like when. Buffy comes in. He doesn't even have to turn. He's literally already facing her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cordelia makes fun of Buffy's hair and he says, you look great. And then she says, dates are things normal girls have. You know what I think about ambush tactics, beheading, um, Not exactly which poor Buffy. frames are made of. Yeah. So then Buffy leaves and Cordelia <laughs> decides to shoot her shot and brings him a cappuccino. <laughs> Good luck, Cordelia. Um, And then back at the school, Principal Snyder is forcing kids to sign up to help little kids trick or treat, which I don't understand this logic. Can you guys explain it to me? If he thinks they're so bad and they're delinquent, why is he entrusting them with a bunch of little kids? At night. It
0: probably was in like some school meeting where they're like, how can we have the students show some responsibility and character? And then they came up with this idea for Halloween and then Snyder was like, hmm, can I force children to do something? Yes, I will have them sign up. I will force people to do it because that's fun for me. Buffy's too (laughs) nice here. I swear my life, like maybe maybe I was just a jerk in high school or something. (laughs) Yeah, you probably were. Probably. But like if some like teacher pulled me aside that I didn't like and was like, but hey, he's the principal. Just it does not matter. It could have been the principal too. <laughs> if like if I just didn't vibe with them and they pulled me aside and they were like, Hey, like, can you sign this petition or can you like not petition? That's you know, that's actually sometimes a good thing. But like if they were like, <laughs> Hey, can you like volunteer or something and I didn't want to, I'd be like, No, I'm busy. And if they were like, No, you have to go, I'd be like, No. Like, what are they gonna do? I can't relate. I'd be Willow in this situation. No, like, I just don't understand. <laughs> it's like they can't punish me for not volunteering.
1: I, I just think it's because why she says yes. Well, I think it's because Buffy is already kind of walking on eggshells with her mom that she doesn't want to do anything that is gonna make Principal Snyder call her mom into the office yeah, and then she gets grounded again, you know? Hard. Yeah. But he literally says to her, Summer's just the juvenile delinquent I've been looking for. <laughs>
0: It just kills me that he is such a like angsty, teen lack of guy compassion. <laughs> well, she's been in a lot of fights. And if I mean, this is coming from people who are not in like a mystical world. So for us looking on like a high school teenage girl who is always in the middle of fights, I'd be like, man, there's something seriously wrong here. She hasn't been involved in any fights at the school. She's, she's broken them up, but to them, it looks like she's been. In she fights. hasn't broken up any fights. In the interview wow. at school, they talk about her being in a a bunch of fights on school hard.
1: Yeah. Well, and then they literally had Spike jumping in and then, Mm -hmm. yeah, she fought and stuff. I think there's a lot of stuff that's happening off screen that we're not seeing, but I get. So like, I get that. But then Principal Snyder literally says, Halloween must be a big night for you, egging, keying cars, just one pathetic cry for help after the other. So he knows if someone is acting out, it typically means that they like need help. Mm -hmm. And yet there's just like no compassion on this guy's part. He is just a jerk. I think that he just is one of those people
0: that because I always tell people I'm like there's two people who want like to go into teaching or school systems, and it's type A is the people that like are like oh I want to help kids I this is you know what I feel called to do, and then the other group is people that have no control and no area where they get to kind of exert their expertise, and so they go oh into, yeah like. You know, being a principal or being a teacher so that they can just feel superior to someone. I think that Principal <laughs> yeah. Snyder is definitely uh, the second group who just kind of longs to be in control. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Buffy's response to him, like telling her to sign up. She's like, gosh, I'd love to <laughs> sign up, but I recently developed <laughs> carpal tunnel syndrome and can tragically no longer hold a flashlight. Like, well, how could you just think of something that elaborate and funny, like in the moment? And the way she says it is she's so snarky.
1: So good. That was probably Carl's line. And Joss is like, oh, we'll keep it in because it's such a good line. But dude, you don't know good how job, to write Carl. for like teenagers. Like the
0: only thing from the original script is that one line. He's like, ah, this is a good line.
1: <laughs> He's like, it doesn't fit, but I like it so much. We'll keep it. He's like, I'll allow it. <laughs> so he forces the gang to sign up. Costumes are mandatory. And then we have that little thing where Halloween is the one night that is quiet for vampires, Dead for which, the undead. you know,
0: it's just so ironic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I and mean, I think that's the point. It's supposed to be like the undead's like, oh, we want to be all unironic and, you know, they're all, like, not moody. evil on Halloween.
0: <laughs> well, I think for them, it's like, it's too easy. There's no sport in it. So they're like, might as well take the night off.
1: Yeah. Maybe. And I don't also,
0: know. They're just like, uh, we're not posers.
1: We are. <laughs> we are real vampires, okay? <laughs> All right. And I'm curious what you guys think about this next scene when Xander tries to get the soda and then the I, machines jammed. <laughs> I am very, very proud of Xander in this situation. So
0: they run into like the high school bully. Who we've never met before, but his name is Larry. Yeah. Um, And then he's like, oh, um, I heard some guy say that she was fast, referring to like Buffy. And Mm -hmm. he says, I hope you mean, like, the wind.
1: And he's like, yeah. (laughs) I was like, like, dang, Xander, good job.
0: I know. Well, he's like, hey, that's my friend you're talking about. And then later, like, winds up to, like, beat him up. And then Buffy gets in the way. And then Xander's all like, I wanted to, like, fight him off. And she's like, oh, you're welcome. I think that, like, we talk about Xander's fragile masculinity a lot. But I think that this Mm -hmm. is one of those circumstances where I actually understand. Yeah. Because the Mm -hmm. thing is, it's, I do think that it's partially like, okay, Xander, like, get over yourself. She was helping, say thank you. But I think that on a bigger scale, it's not so much, him thinking less of himself because buffy helped him it's more of he knows everyone else will think less of himself because buffy helped him not to mention Mm -hmm. we see throughout the episode this guy kind of bullies him because xander was helped by his friend and so i kind of understand why you know xander is a little upset in this episode just because with buffy because he's like dude like I just wanted to either get beat up or beat this guy up so that it was done for once and for all. And so I think that I kind of understand why he's kind of upset. i I kind of viewed it as like he was trying to defend Buffy's honor. And so he was like willing to go that extra mile and like mm-hmm. and he was really angry about what Larry had said. And so, in my mind, I'd be frustrated too if Buffy came in because I was just like, man, I'm trying to help you. And like, I guess it's a nice thing that you're doing. but like, I was frustrated about what he was saying about you, and I wanted to kick his ass, you know,
1: yeah. well, and I think it's interesting because he's hurt. Because now he's seen as a coward. And I think that that is something that Xander is not. Xander is actually very brave. And we've seen him be okay with Buffy saving him many, many times. So I don't think it's the fact that she saved him that bothers him. It's the fact that he's like, now everyone's going to think I'm a coward. And he doesn't want that. And I don't blame him. You know, that would be really hard. Because I
0: I think that we definitely bring up when Xander is being like a little conceited or full of himself or a little punk yes like we definitely bring that up but i think that this is one of those scenes where he's not like he just yeah rather not people think of him as being like cowardly and wimpy and i don't think that's a bad thing i don't think anyone would want that and i think that it's like it can be frustrating because he was like i want to fight my own battles i want to like i want to show that you know i can handle this myself and i think that i don't know i just i really felt for xander in this scene and in this episode in general
1: well yeah and i mean props to him for also saying that to Buffy in the moment to like communicating his frustration yes. to her instead of stewing on it and just sitting on it for a long time. And I think that's something that Buffy needs to grow in. She is a little oblivious sometimes of when she needs to step back from things. Like we saw that in Inca Mummy Girl where she wanted to go and tell, oh, I don't remember the kid's name now, to stop touching the statue. And uh, Willow comes in and says, "No, like I think I should talk to him mm-hmm. because you tend to resort to violence." And in this situation, like Xander's, like, "Hey, when it's vampires, yes, please beat them up and save me." But when, like, let me fight my own battles and live my own life, you know. And I don't think that's a that's a bad thing to mm-hmm. want, you know. She also yeah. didn't resort to
0: violence. He was about to punch Xander, and she just grabbed his arm and said, "Get gone!" Like that's all she did. She didn't punch him or anything.
1: That's true, but she did kind of insert herself. And then she also took his drink afterwards, which I know she wasn't trying to be malicious, but it was also like, that just shows how very oblivious Buffy sometimes is to Xander (laughs) in general, you know, or even just her friends. I think sometimes she's like, Oh, Xander's in trouble. I'm, I have the strength and the power I'm going to save him. And instead of taking a step back and being like, what is the best thing for Xander in this moment? You know, I don't think she knew what they were talking about, but yeah, for sure. And then she No, breaks. no she didn't, but that was also like that's a flaw on her part. Like yeah. make sure you understand what's happening before you jump sure. in, you know?
0: Yes, but I also think it's like personally if I saw that some guy was about to beat up my friend and I had the power to stop him, I don't think I would walk up and stop him being like Hey, let's talk about this. I think I would walk up and immediately be like, I'm going to go protect my friend. And so I think Mm. that, like, this isn't a huge fault on her side. I do think that sometimes Buffy is a little oblivious because she can just be very much like in her head, like, I didn't even notice that. I didn't even see that. But I think that this is literally just one of those cases where she tried to protect her friend and, like, it just may not have been the best course Mm -hmm. of action. The, sure. The phrasing of it afterwards, though, when she talks to Willow, she's like, I think I just violated the guy code. Mm-hmm. And she's like, poor no. Xander, boys are so fragile. Speaking
1: of which, how is Angel? <laughs> <laughs>
0: no. Oh. oh, my goodness.
1: Oh, she my talks goodness. about the non-date. And so funny. And Bobby thinks Cordelia would be more of Angel's type. And then they're like, well, we don't know what his type is. And then they're like, hey, we should go look into the Watcher's Diaries. <laughs> well, then they don't actually say that. They're like, it would be wrong. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs>
0: you can through see the heist that, music. Like, you can see that, like, uh, Willow's been, like, dying to do something like this. She's like, that would be wrong. <laughs>
1: yeah, Willow has no problem breaking into things. Yeah. I Okay,
0: I don't know how Buffy didn't do this beforehand. I would be burning with curiosity about what Angel was like. I would literally Dude, do that right? in a second. I would not even wait to find out if he was interested in me. I would see him day one, find out his name, but I'm going to go look him up. because well, like, as soon why as we find out
1: he's a vampire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah have, you're like, you have, have like a hundred and something years of history before you met me. It's like, I was about and we have to diaries. Yeah, there's so much. I mean, most people, when they meet
0: the love of their life, they're like in their 20s, 30s, sometimes a little bit later. That's a lot of years. But he's been alive for like twice as long as most people have that's so much life before you i'd be so curious and what happened
1: yeah exactly so then cue the heist music they sneak in well buffy sneaks in willow stays out and giles wants to talk about halloween and he's like hey we should there's not gonna be any vampires we should work on your battle techniques and buffy's like totally trying to stall while willow comes in and then okay, this is hilarious because she asks him what he enjoys to do, like what he likes to do to relax. And he's like, Oh, like touched. She's asking. He's like, Well, I enjoy cross-referencing. I know, <laughs> so cute. He's so pure about <laughs> it's it. It's
0: also just like, is that a hobby? Like cross referencing, literally a job. But I think so just, stressful. I think that he, know he doesn't hurts. know how to like being a watcher is more than his job. Like that's literally his life. And so I think that he lives for the things in his job slash life that like are not a burden to him. And so (laughs) referencing is something he has to do all the time. But it's like one of the only things he likes. So he's like, I guess this is a hobby. I do it all the time. Like, <laughs> it's just so funny.
1: But do you see like the little smile on his face as he's like thinking know, about cross-referencing? So
0: and then Buffy's like all nervous because she's like, Will has got to get all the stuff and get inside. Well, the Giles is office.
1: suspicious. And yeah. <laughs> she says, Look at me when I'm talking to you. I know. She's like, Miss Calendar says you're a babe. And then Will shakes her head. She's like, Come on, Buffy. No, no, she looks don't so go disappointed. There.
0: Yeah. Oh, babe. She's like
1: <laughs> This calendar said you were a babe, a hunk of burning um something or other, which, you know, a hunk, a hunk of burning love. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then as she goes, Giles is like, babe, I can live with that. I know. He seems so content. He's like, so oh, cute. Okay. <laughs> and then I love, I love this next scene. One, because it's so high school, like, or not just so high school. This is what two girls would mm-hmm. do is go hide out in the girl's bathroom with a diary and pour over a guy. And the music that kind of plays is this just beautiful, almost like music box type music. It's just very mystical and magical mm-hmm. type music as they're looking at the pictures. It's just really, it's just a cool scene. It's I like it a lot. It's just
0: like Willow knows that her friend is kind of like hurting and is confused and stuff. And so she's like willing to go and break into the office and like grab the book for her and sit there and read it with her. And like, I think she's also partially curious, which mm-hmm. is totally normal. But I just think it's very sweet that like Willow is... Being there and supporting her friend through all of this. And it's also just funny because like Buffy finds out, you know, Angel's into who well, was into these type of Victorian era women and like all this stuff. And like Buffy's saying, like, oh, this would be so fun, it'd be so pretty. And then Willow has
1: that line where she's like, Yeah, I think I prefer to vote. <laughs> yeah, and she says, These women being beautiful was their job, and Buffy says clearly this girl was a workaholic. <laughs> <laughs> also, they say this girl doesn't have a name, but you can clearly read that there is a name written right and next to her. And it's thinking, Sarah like- Goodfriend. Isn't that random? What's Sarah? Her yeah, her name was Sarah Goodfriend. Yeah.
0: Good friend. yeah. Hmm. good friend. I'm like, a good Sarah. My what kind of name is that? <laughs> her, her <middle> <laughs> you know how some people have middle names that are just like F dot. B dot, and it's just like A. So I was like, Sarah, a good friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so there is actually a fan theory out there that that is Darla. That's that, what I that was woman. thinking.
0: That's why I looked for the name because I wanted to see if it's a Darla. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, she was a vampire. She lived for forever, and like, I wouldn't be surprised if in record books and
1: stuff, they kind of got her name wrong. Like she, right? I'm well, sure she lied about and- her
0: identity sometimes. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's around when Angel would have been, you know, turned. So, yeah. Then Cordelia enters and this conversation is sad, but also kind of funny. She talks about how she comforted Angel and then she thinks that they mean that Angel still lives at home.
0: Yeah. (laughs) He's not like other guys. What? He lives at home still? Do you have to wait till his parents come home?
1: And she's like, um, his parents have been dead for a couple of hundred years. Or Buffy she says that oh, and Cordelia's right. like, oh, good. Mm-hmm. Wait. <laughs> and then also this whole entire episode is a running joke of Cordelia not believing the angels of vampire.
0: Yeah, I know. It's like a running joke with herself. And they're all just kind of like, yeah, she'll figure it out. Yeah, they don't I even how, try. Yeah, I love how they just kind of tell her and they're like, man, eh, she'll figure it out. Like, that's not really our business.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's interacted with him a lot of times so far. It's just crazy that she doesn't know yet. But yeah, whatever. I
0: mean, it totally makes sense though because if someone told me that like a nice guy was like a vampire and knowing what she knows about vampires, how like none of them are of her kind or whatever, like it's very black and white. And so I totally understand that like cordially is kind of like okay for sure because what she's Mm. known of vampires is not anything like angel
1: yeah yeah exactly then she says look b you may be hot stuff when it comes to demonology or whatever but when it comes to dating i'm the slayer which iconic iconic
0: line what a line yeah i mean i
1: feel bad for buffy but yeah what a line then they go to a costume store, and Willow picks out a ghost outfit, and this is where they have that conversation, and Buffy says, you're never going to get noticed. You're missing the point of Halloween. It's come as you are, the chance to be wild with no repercussions.
0: Doesn't she um, say come as you aren't? She switches, oh, okay. I must she have written the, it down wrong. Line. Yeah. But no, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah.
1: And then Willow says, wild on me looks like a spaz. And then Buffy says, I think you got it in you. So like- Listening to those conversations is just very interesting, kind of knowing about the whole division of self. I just think that's just a really clever way of putting it into the dialogue.
0: I also just think it's sweet that, like, Buffy is trying to, like, kind of give Willow confidence in herself because she knows that Willow still kind of desires Xander's opinion and, like, attention. And so I love how, like, Buffy understands what Willow wants and desires without her needing to say it. And Buffy doesn't feel the need to be like, just super sexy so that you'll get, you know, Xander's attention. I think it's more of her just being like, if you want his attention, like, these are some of the things you can do and stuff. And she's like trying to give her subtle confidence because she just wants to help her friend out. And I think it's really sweet. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So this conversation between Xander and Buffy, I really love because – actually this whole episode. And I think that's one of the things that I really love about this episode is we just see the friendship between the three of them so – It's just so strong. And their communication, like Buffy hurts Xander. Xander communicates to Buffy. Buffy apologizes to Xander about it. Willow helps Buffy learn more about Angel. Buffy helps Willow come out of her shell. Like, It's just a really good episode for their their friendship dynamic, and they're all in a healthy place. I just really enjoy it a lot. I
0: also just think that it's very subtly done because I think that sometimes in shows or movies they need to establish a friendship so much that they will force it and they'll just be like yeah. oh my gosh you're my best friend yeah. and they feel the need to like right. say it instead of show it but I feel like this is one of those episodes where they didn't feel the need to be like you're my best friend Xander you're my best friend <laughs> like they show that they love each other they show that they all trust yeah. each other mm-hmm. without needing to say it and I feel like that's more wrong yeah. it's more genuine like when you're actually friends with people, you're not going every five seconds, like, I'm so glad we're best friends. Like, <laughs> you, you sound know, like a Barbie movie. <laughs> Cause that's how it mm-hmm. is. Like, but like in real life, it's very much like you show that you're friends by mm-hmm. being there for them, by pushing them, by whatever. And so it's like, I like how it's more realistic in the way that they go through natural stuff and they go through it together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that. Buffy apologizes and says, you know, I was in the wrong. And I love that Xander accepts it and they move forward. And this all happens within, you know, the first 15 minutes of the episode. It's just great.
0: Communication,
1: Does wonders. Yeah, right. Exactly. And then Buffy sees the pink ball gown and is completely enchanted. Fun fact. So Cynthia Bergstrom is the costume designer for the show. And she said that this outfit was her favorite of the entire series for Buffy. Isn't that cool? The
0: dress or what she's wearing in the store?
1: The pink outfit, the pink dress. It was her favorite costume or favorite, yeah, what Sarah Michelle Gellar wore for the entirety well, of the I show.
0: Mean, oh, dang. I guess as a costume designer, that makes sense. But in my opinion, I low-key think the dress is ugly. I think it's so <laughs> I think that it looks cheap. That's my only thing. It's but it costume. is a costume. I know, I know, I know. My thing is that, like, <laughs> I I personally don't like it. I know it's a costume. I just think that there could have been better, prettier dresses from that time period. But that's just me. Is it my favorite outfit that Buffy's ever worn? Definitely not even close. But,
1: you know, we all have our opinions. Well, thank you for sharing yours. Yeah. Um, like, we don't care. <laughs> the thing is, the dress is meant to be girly and over the top yeah. and overly everything because that's what they needed for this episode. Yeah. Like, that's who Buffy becomes, you know? But I understand what you mean. I, I actually don't think it looks cheap. I think it's, you know, pretty. But again, yeah, not, it's just a personal taste thing. But yeah, anyway. Then Ethan Rain comes out and is willing to give Buffy the dress for a cheaper price and says, meet the hidden princess. And I think it's interesting because I wonder if Ethan knew that Buffy was the slayer and was like, dude, I want to nail this the slayer. Like oh, I think and so. then you think he did?
0: Because uh, well, because he's he's been doing research on Giles. And when Giles comes in, like, he knows that he's a watcher. He knows all this stuff. Says no. that he's living two different lives. Actually, I disagree. He know who the, the slayer is. I, I don't think he knows that Giles is a watcher. He mentions that he's a librarian and that he's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's not who you are. And it's all an act. I don't think that he, he may know that he's a watcher, but I don't think that he's actually been observing Giles. I think he just knows he's a teacher. I think that the only reason he gave Buffy the dress at a low price was because he just wanted the costumes to be gone.
1: I don't think it had mm. anything to do with her being a Slayer. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I guess either way, it doesn't really matter because he still wreaked havoc no matter whether he got Buffy or not. You know. So Spike is watching the tape of Buffy fighting, and he says she's resourceful. And then, okay, I love this scene. I do, I love Drusilla because Joss and the writers like to speak a lot in metaphors and have a lot of foreshadowing through drusilla it's just really interesting Mm -hmm. um so whenever she talks i'm always like ooh what are they trying to say with that Mm because it's really obscure and yeah it's very cleverly done so drusilla says do you love my insides the parts you can't see which we're talking about the duality of nature right and Mm -hmm. everybody that's that's exactly what Buffy's worried about. Buffy's worried that Angel loves the parts of Buffy that he can see and can't see. Everybody else is wrestling with that. And so Drusilla kind of is putting towards what all the characters are wrestling with as well. And Spike says eyeballs to entrails my sweet. And then he says, that's why I've got to study this Slayer. Once I know her, I can kill her. And once I kill her, you can have your run of this place. So yeah, it's just interesting because that's exactly what everybody's been wrestling yeah. with or specifically Buffy and Angel. And then Bruce says, don't worry, everything is switching outside to inside. It makes her weak. And I think this is interesting too, because and um, we could probably make a drinking game of how much I say interesting, but it all is interesting (laughs) that she says that this makes Buffy weak. And I think it is, yes, it makes Buffy weak because it means she's not herself. But I think when Buffy doesn't accept her role and her calling as a slayer and accept that. This is who she is. It makes her weak because she's constantly distracted mm. and looking to other things and looking to other places and trying to figure out how to do anything else other than the role of what she's been called to. Does
0: that make sense? Yeah. I also think that, like, from what we've known of Spike's character, he is not someone who necessarily plans ahead, who sit and watches yeah. and thinks, like, we, what we've observed of him is he's very much the direct approach. Even the first time he met Buffy, he observed her for all of like five seconds and then stepped out of the shadows and was like, oh, I'm going to kill you on Saturday. Like yeah. he has never been the subtle attack approach. And so I think it's very interesting now that we see him kind of like collecting information about her, observing her, like learning her. It's interesting that we're seeing him kind of needing to step out of what he's used to in order to just be able to fight buffy and defeat him like i think it just kind of goes to show like that she's kind of not what a regular slayer would look like
1: yeah yeah and i think it shows maybe a little bit of desperation on spike's end and maybe or even not desperation but a sense yeah. of like whoa this is someone new so i need to actually like take a step back and be purposeful mm-hmm. and intentional in how i'm going to mm-hmm. attack her you know so back at the store ethan is uh, shocker, the villain, and what? is doing <laughs> some sort of he's weird spell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> a new character
0: we've never seen before. And is he's a the villain? villain? Shocker.
1: <laughs> he's either the victim or the villain. That's yeah, what it and is. Yeah, he's
0: definitely not a victim.
1: He says, the world that denies thee, thou inhabit, the peace that ignores thee, thou corrupt chaos. I remain as ever thy faithful degenerate son. And then you see the two-faced statue representing chaos and order. So in Buffy's room the girls are getting ready for Halloween and you find out that Angel doesn't know about Buffy's costume but he's going to meet her later so it seems like they're going to either go trick or treating together or do something fun which I think is really cute that like they're going to hang out together and like
0: I know go do something fun for Halloween. That's <laughs> 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 so like sweet and innocent.
1: Yeah and then we know when Angel shows up later like he's not wearing a costume so I wonder if he was just like gonna go as a vampire or like what he was gonna do or i
0: just think they they were planning on hanging out on halloween and hence she didn't tell him what her costume was so he was thinking oh i'm just gonna hang out with buffy later He's not oh thinking yeah go
1: trick-or-treating well, or especially
0: something. since like vampires don't make a big deal out of right. Halloween. i think that he probably was just like we're just gonna hang out
1: yeah yeah that's true and i also don't see angel's a big costume guy no but no, that's just all. me <laughs> so willow comes out and her outfit is so cute, cute. she looks so cute I, and she has great abs, man. Yeah. yeah.
0: Little fun fact. Um, this was one of like the first episodes I watched kind of like out of order. I don't remember when, but I remember like walking in on it and just like mm-hmm. someone was watching it on the TV. And I saw Willow in this. I think one of the scenes I saw was her walking at the end of the episode was mm-hmm. like one of the only things I saw. And so that was my impression of Willow. And so mm-hmm. when I went back and watched this show by myself, I was like, she looks so different. Yeah. Well Yeah, you're wait. like, who is this? So we tried recording the beginning part of this and then we had to redo it. And both Lee and I mentioned, and I we both said it, like one of us said it, and then we we're like, oh my gosh, that was me too. But this is the very first episode that I ever watched of Buffy. And I don't know how it happened. I think either Sarah or my sister Hannah were watching it. And I walked in and I remember seeing this episode and i remember being like oh my gosh like willow's so cute and then like rewatching it i was shook cuz i was like that's not at all the character i remember seeing but mm-hmm. it's so funny this is the episode where i was introduced to the characters and then thinking they're like one way and then rewatching it and being like oh my gosh like willow is completely opposite of what that is like this episode that's why it's so nostalgic is cuz it's like the very first one i ever watched
1: mm. that's funny i didn't know that that was the same for both of you guys Um, In the script, this outfit is described as hot rocker chick,
0: Cute, you know,
1: and Willow says this just isn't me. Buffy says, that's the point. Halloween is the night that not you is you, but not you. (laughs) Um, She's still trying to set up Xander and Willow, which I think is really sweet. But I also like, I don't know. I I think I'm really glad that Xander didn't be all in. Like he didn't see Willow when he was normal Xander in in this costume. Because I wouldn't have liked it if he had started noticing Willow after this, because Mm -hmm. I feel like it just would have been very cliche and very just superficial.
0: Yep, yep. I think that's the thing too is that like it would have been purely on a physical level. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have been because he like actually loves who she is. I know. Like Um, Buffy's so sweet though. She's like, I can't wait for the boys to go nonverbal when they
1: see you. Mm Hmm. Yeah, it's sweet the friendship, but yeah. Then Xander comes and what does he say? Buffy, Duchess of Buffonia. <laughs> he's
0: like, I, I completely resound
1: spandex. Yeah. Yeah. Re- yeah I love that spandex, he's like yeah.
0: complimenting her in some like weird fashion. Like you could just say she looks nice.
1: <laughs> yeah. And without being all like weird about it. Seriously. And Willow comes down the stairs and she's wearing her ghost outfit. And I think that's telling that she doesn't feel comfortable being herself mm-hmm. around Xander. Yeah. I think that's really telling.
0: Well, they've been like buddy buddies. And so in her mind, she's like, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable looking sexy around him. I think that would just be like an awkward and uncomfortable thing for their friendship since they've been like best friends since they were really little. It's gotta be a weird
1: boundary to cross.
0: I also just think that she's really fearful that she'll walk out. And Xander won't notice her.
1: Hmm. So like I she's putting that, herself out there and yeah, he still rejects yeah, her. Exactly.
0: And so I think that in her mind, she would prefer to just like never try and never know if Xander would be into her rather than try and get some sad answer.
1: Hmm. Yeah, That. that's a good point, Leah. It's funny because um, – when Andrew, my husband Andrew, and I we were best friends for a year before we started dating, and it was really odd when we started dating because it was like one day we were friends and then the next we were dating. and it was like, well, <laughs> like now what? like it was weird to like hold hands or like you know hug or anything because we were so used to just you know being buddies. and so like it took us a couple of months before we made that transition fully to like feeling like we were dating. and I would imagine. For Xander and Willow having so much of a long history of friendship that crossing that um, line is just a huge step. Yeah. So then Principal Snyder's like, all right, this is your group. Don't speak to them. They don't need your influence. <laughs>
0: I honestly, okay, one, why would you want high school volunteers? to watch kids when you don't trust those high school volunteers that's like, what i said i don't get think, it like, like i understand why he why he picked willow willow makes sense why would you want xander and buffy if you if snyder viewed them the way he says he views them why did he want them to watch kids second of all why are high schoolers watching little kids
1: yeah no right, clue no clue that. at all yeah, like well, why
0: parents I, would just drop them off not like, knowing not knowing who the high schoolers are that's what's yeah, weird to it, me. I would never entrust, like if I was a parent, I would never entrust my kids to people I'd never met before. Yeah.
1: And why are these parents not wanting to trick or treat with their kids? Like I know if I were a parent, yeah. I'd be like, hey, I want to go with my kids. This is something special to enjoy. Like, I don't know. It all just makes sense, but. It is also a TV show, so maybe we're reading into it too much. <laughs> As we're like, let's get into the metaphor of no, gayness. <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. The show
0: makes me either feel like a genius or just stupid sometimes because I'm like trying to read into everything. And I'm like, maybe this just isn't meant to be like super read into. There's like a <laughs> Yeah, line. someone's like, whoa, Joss, did you mean to do this, this, and this? And he's all like, Yes, Yes. I did. (laughs) He's like, we're giving him way more credit than what he's actually making. We're like, he's so brilliant. The way that, you know, Willow picked up that water cup. It was so uh,
1: sweet and nice. And and he's like, dude, she literally just picked up a water cup.
0: Yeah. There's no meaning behind
1: it. Um, so Larry makes fun of Xander, and he's dressed like a pirate, which seems very appropriate. Which, okay, if we're going by everyone's dressing up as how they want to be seen, <laughs> oh, does Larry want to be seen as a pirate?
0: I, I know what in the world.
1: Oh my gosh, that cracks me up. Well, also, mean, why are, like,
0: cool and like they steal stuff? <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, sure, but I mean, okay. So Larry also seems kind of like a punk, even more so than, you know, Willow and Xander from like an yeah. outside perspective. Why is Principal Snyder asking him to watch kids? Like it just doesn't it makes, make sense. It makes no why, yeah, sense. Yeah, why is he choosing
0: all the kids in his mind are troublemakers to watch all these kids? That makes no sense to me.
1: Why not choose it's the responsible like ones? It's almost like Principal Snyder likes chaos, you know? And then guess who comes in, you guys?
0: Oh, it's Oz. Oz. literally the love of my life. His interaction with Cordelia is so funny. It he's kills like hey, me. He's like, hey Cordelia, geez, you're like a great big cat. <laughs> and then she's like, Um, can you tell Mr. I'm too cool to uh, Oh wait, I wrote it down. She said, Um, is Mr. the lead singer I'm so great, I don't have to show up for my date or even call going to be there? And he goes, He just goes by Devon now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then she says, well, then you can tell him that I didn't even see you. And then Oz is like, so what do I tell him? She's like, nothing. Get with the program. And she walks away and he's like, why can't I meet a nice girl like that? <laughs> and then literally... bumps into the ghost.
0: Bumps right into Willow. It's uh. just like he has like, I think, four lines in total in this like whole episode. And I, he just like every single Steals one of them it. steal
1: the show. Yeah. it's like, why can't I meet a nice girl like that? And bumps right into Willow. I love that his lines are delivered all the same, but you can tell like he's being so dryly sarcastic. Yeah. It's just really funny. So yeah, he bumps into Willow and we're like, come on, kiss, kiss. Um, no, it's
0: Willow.
1: Yeah, it's Willow. She's right there. I know. But I love this slow burn we're getting. Like we know they're building up to something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's like Willow's over there insecure, not quite herself and stuff like that. And we're like, don't worry, Willow. He's here. He's, he's coming. coming. Yeah. So Xander's giving the kids a pep talk, says tears will get them more candy. <laughs> I know we rag on Sander, but he's got some great lines this episode mm-hmm. and yeah. I'm here for all of them. And then the kids are going around doing trick or treating, and Buffy's like, "What did she give you?" And they're like, pulling out toothbrushes, and she's like, "She must be stopped." I know. <laughs> and then Ethan's still speaking Latin at the altar.
0: I know this nobody is a cares long about him. Spell, dude. It's
1: a very long spell. Like, how long does it take? Is like Giannis taking a nap or something? Like what is going on? Oh, (laughs) Yanis. Please stop. I have to tell myself Yanis in my brain five (laughs) times before I say it verbally. (laughs) You're not helping. So the spell is cast. Ethan says showtime, which I get the feeling that Ethan is very much a performer. Like you get the feeling that he loves stirring the pot. Oh, absolutely. I think he's a four. I think he's an Enneagram four, but that's just me. Four three has to be the best. <laughs> um, so the lady doesn't have candy. Little kids turn into a monster, start attacking the lady. Willow can't breathe and passes out because that she's a ghost.
0: Would be terrifying. Like, could
1: you imagine
0: like starting to just like get the actual like air out of your lungs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I... Well, Willow dies. That's yeah. terrifying. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Well, her body's just like passed out on the porch the whole time. I don't know if you guys like picked up this, but when like the kids are like choking the grandma, which by the way terrifying, she goes hey. She has like that deep like like um masculine yeah. hey, and she says it exactly like that in the harvest when she gets shoved into like the crypt by um yeah that random vampire dude with bad fashion she goes hey but i just like in my (laughs) mind for some reason that is just so triggered it's like burned into my brain like when she when it happened i don't know if she does it again but i remember like on multiple occasions she does like the exact same hey and it kills me because it just sounds like a man
1: well it's when she's like at the end of her
0: rope and she's she's, so done (laughs) you know
1: yeah So I love this shot of Xander. He like looks down and you see he has like the the gun with the orange cap and then he looks down and the shot stays on his face, but the gun goes below the camera and then he pulls it back up and he's got like this massive gun in his Mm -hmm. hand.
0: Nicholas Brendan did a great job acting that scene because I saw Xander and then I saw him shift between Xander and a soldier and like his flawless execution of somehow dropping the fake gun and then bringing up a real one. I, I don't know. I just like... Kudos to him for doing that really smoothly because it looked really cool. I mean, it could have been a different take, but it didn't look like it was, though.
1: I'm fairly certain that they probably had him literally put down the gun and pick up the other one. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I feel like Nicholas Brendan doesn't get enough credit for how good of an actor he is. He's actually very versatile, especially for this being like his first major role, Mm -hmm. too. So Willow Astral projects through her body, hears gunfire, and realizes it's Xander. Xander doesn't remember who Willow is and walks right through her, which I love Willow's reaction to that, like, oh.
0: (laughs) I also feel like that's just kind of like a very small symbolic thing because he's like – he just kind of like
1: doesn't really notice her
0: and like physically walks right through her. Again, this could be one of those things where I'm like,, yeah, that's no, that's stupid. Sh- like a, something I'm reading into it way more than it should be. Yeah, but um, in my mind, it was just kind of something small that I feel like could have been represented in that way.
1: Yeah, but I think it's interesting that okay, so let's dissect this a little bit. Willows literally wearing a costume or not li- literally but like you know figuratively wearing a costume in her everyday lives and the way that she dresses and stuff it's she prefers to kind of be a wallflower mm-hmm. and kind of stay in the shadows she doesn't mm-hmm. want to be noticed um or at least she doesn't like to be noticed in that way like she talks a lot about how like she doesn't like being on display it would be her nightmare to be in front of people and I think that her symbolically wearing a ghost costume shows that like she doesn't desire like a ton of attention from people, but she still wants to be seen as sexy and beautiful. Like she's afraid of those things, but like she still desires it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So I just think it's really clever that they made her a ghost, but then she's wearing a sexy outfit underneath it. And then she literally like dies and then is forced to wear this sexy costume, yeah. but she's got the physical attributes of a ghost. It's almost like a perfect symbolism. It is a perfect symbolism of Willow in real life as she is this amazing, sexy girl, yeah. but most everybody doesn't see, see her. Yep. You know, it's just ah, it's so well done. I love it.
0: That's all the stuff I was thinking. But thank you for making it so eloquent. <laughs> so I didn't have to. What that was? I was
1: just literally about to say that was not eloquent. So thank you for saying that. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I just feel like it's funny and kind of like I don't know, just a lot of levels of like her when she's actually sexy and Xander physically sees her. He's not Xander, and he doesn't see her, and like physically mm-hmm. walks through her. So. Yeah, I I think it's there on purpose. We could be reading into it, but if we're reading into it, then they really missed um, a great opportunity. (laughs) I gotta be honest, I feel so bad for Willow in this whole scene, and the whole episode in general, because she's really one of the only ones who's actually herself. She's so frustrated. And so, like, she's frustrated because she's like, "Sandra, stop shooting all the kids, because they're actual kids, not monsters. And then, like, when they find Buffy, she's like... Helpless. Yeah, she's like, oh, we have to find Buffy. And then Buffy's helpless, and she's like, great, another person I have to take care of. And it's not until, like, and then
1: Cordy comes into yeah. the mix. But isn't that kind of like pic- a picture of Willow's role in the group too? Because you have that reptile boy episode where Willow knows all the information and then she has to kind of give a verbal spanking to Giles and Angel and say, yeah. you guys are not treating her well. You're not treating her right. I think that's kind of symbolism of how Willow is with the gang on a day-to-day basis. So nobody remembers who they are except for Willow and she has to explain to Xander that they are turning into who they were dressed as and tells him not to shoot one of the kids because they're – or the monsters because they're actually kids. They find Buffy wandering around looking very confused. Okay, so I'm confused. Is Xander actually like shooting at the kids or is he shooting past them because he doesn't hit them? Okay, was
0: the whole idea because Willow comes to the window and she's like – don't you don't you and he's like guns make noise monsters are scared and so like gotcha. pretty much okay. saying like i'm just scaring them off i'm not shooting them
1: gotcha because i was like wow he shoots worse than a stormtrooper like this is bad <laughs>
0: he's like missing that many times he's like oh i'm the worst soldier ever <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's like man why do i have like such an inferiority complex what is going on <laughs>
0: <laughs> he like doesn't know himself
1: yeah <laughs> Um, so Buffy obviously doesn't remember who she is. And then there's a whole like circular dialogue where Will is like, she's not Buffy. Xander's like, who's Buffy? And then Will's yeah. like, oh, this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> so then they're like, okay, we need to get inside. And Buffy is afraid of the car, calls it a demon.
0: I have like the way they um say things. Like, I don't know why it's so drilled in my brain. Like a demon, a
1: demon. No, I hear it. And I hear it. It sounds a lot like the character she played in. I know what you did last summer too.
0: Oh, I haven't I seen don't... that movie. I really need to.
1: Yeah, you need to watch it.
0: Buffy, the way she says things is just so funny. She's like, surely some men will protect us. Mike <laughs> Man, they're really playing into the narrative of like, you know,
1: poor innocent poor girl. Innocent
0: girl and then feminism is just like it's it's a little on the nose, but it's I eat it up. I love it. But I think that it's accurate though. Mm-hmm. I think that if a woman of that time was like, you know, somehow transported here, like that's legitimately how they would think. Women yeah didn't do anything for themselves. Like they were property. They were just kind of passed around. Like it yeah. was, that's who they were. And so it's like, I like that they didn't try and make her like still, you know, be a Buffy. Like she wasn't Buffy. She was not herself.
1: Yeah. And I mean, whether or not is accurate or not, I, I don't know. They were trying to make a point of Buffy wanted to be seen as this fancy woman. And this was a byproduct of that, you know? Yeah. So Willow's like, all right, Buffy's never seen a car. She's from the past. Xander's like, and you're a ghost. I just want you to know I'm taking a lot on faith here. <laughs> <laughs> Which, true? yeah, he's not wrong. So they go into Buffy's house and Mrs. Summers is conveniently not there. Could you imagine if Joyce was around?
0: She's just always gone. Like, I don't know where this woman is, but man, she must be in a very busy personal life.
1: Yeah, man. Like how much, how many hours is she working at the museum yeah, for? She's so,
0: clocking up a lot of hours.
1: Seriously. So someone bangs on the door and Buffy sees the picture of herself, Sandra and Willow, um, and says, this could be me. This is some other girl. I don't like this place and I don't like you. I want to go home. That's so sad. Uh,
0: Could you imagine? Like That'd be terrifying. She just has no idea what's going on.
1: Yeah. But I think it's also like what she's saying. This could be me. This is some other girl. Like it's just, and again, a clever imagery of the Mm -hmm. duality. Yeah. Um, And Willow, she couldn't have dressed up as (laughs) Xenia. Amen. That would have been cool. But I feel like it would have been also like two on the nose.
0: I feel like every single Halloween after this one, I would dress up as every single BA character I ever wanted to be just in case it happened again. Yeah. Yeah. Just as a slayer. Yeah. You would not catch me in any lame costumes after that.
1: Yeah. Seriously. I'd be like, oh, please, please, please let this be the one. I'd be like,
0: I'm dressing up as like, Supergirl, like anyone who could give me like flight powers or anything. <laughs> True. Like, I'd be just like everyone every year dressing up as like anything that could get me like to be cool.
1: Seriously. Uh, Xander hears Cordelia screaming and goes out and rescues her, which I think is hilarious because if Xander was like actually himself, I wonder what he would have done.
0: <laughs> I think he would have gone and saved her. I think he just would have complained more about it.
1: I feel like he would have sat there and let her stew for a little bit before he went out and rescued her. <laughs> <laughs> Also, Cordelia looks hilarious as a cat. Like, okay, I understand that like the network probably had a rating and wasn't allowed to let them dress too sexy, but I feel like this costume is just horribly unsexy.
0: She still pulls it off though somehow. I feel like if I was wearing this, I would look like I was wearing a child's onesie. <laughs> but like, she just looks so like good. And I'm like, oh, that's unfair. Her interaction <laughs> with Willow is so funny. I mean, I just wish I have so many good lines and I'm like, man, I don't want to keep reading these out loud, but they're just so good. She's like, oh, your name is Cordelia. You're not a cat. You're in high school and we're friends. Well, sort of. Well, that's nice, Willow. And you went mental when? I don't know.
1: <laughs> Cordelia's like, what is going on? Like everyone's
0: getting um, craziness and there's monsters everywhere and Willow still finds a way to like make fun of people or is not Willow, yeah,
1: Cordelia. Well, and I think once again, the fact that Cordelia didn't change into anything is so on the nose for her character. Like what yeah. you yep. see is what you get with Cordelia. Like, of course, you know?
0: Cordelia didn't change. Why would she? Well, she's but like, it's also the point? I'd rather be myself. It's so funny to me that everyone else was like, Going to the same magic shop. And like, that was the rage. And Cordelia was like, mm,
1: I'm going to go get it
0: somewhere else. Like, that's just the right. Cordelia yeah. thing to be like, I'm not going to follow everyone else. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Did you guys see that little moment where Xander gives her her coat because she said her costume was ripped?
0: Yeah. And, and she's then you kind of like, see her oddly like, touch. Yeah. You kind of see her like looking at it like, what is going on? Yeah, it's just like, oh thank you (laughs) she's like not used to xander being (laughs) nicer or like like i think she's kind of attracted to him right there she's like oh (laughs) she's like this is Um, new yeah he's like all his muscles out and
1: everything she's like wow what's going on here he's
0: not all spazzy so she's like oh and he saved her and like yeah i think she's kind of taken aback. she's like am i attracted
1: to (laughs) 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 what's going on (laughs) Oh, that's funny. All right. Willow's going to go get help. She tells them to stay. And then Buffy says, It's not our place to fight. The men will protect us. And Cordelia's like, What's that riff? <laughs> Which good for Cordelia for like, calling her out and be like, um, that's crap. What are you talking yeah. about? And then Willow explains that Buffy has some sort of amnesia. And then um, as she walks through walls, Cordelia's like, who died and made her boss? As she like literally phases through, which again is cool because Willow is becoming confident. She's kind of accepting responsibility. Like in the past, we've kind of seen glimpses of, and we talked about this, like when Willow calls out Giles and Angel and stuff like that, like that's been her role in like when she's, it's been forced upon her. But I think that that's her giftedness. I think she excels in that area when she calls call people out on their crap, but then she's also like kind about it and helps them. And I think that we're starting to see Willow in this episode, like she has to be in charge because there's nobody else that's capable yeah. right now. And I think it's stretching her and growing her and it's really cool. Like I really like it.
0: Mm-hmm. When she walks through the wall and like Buffy as not Buffy sees her walk through the wall, her yeah. face is so funny. She's like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like right in the middle when so much is happening. So it's just kind of like a subtle thing, but it's just so funny.
1: Yeah, because there's like a bunch of other people talking and she's over there like she's the in only shock. only one who
0: sees her walk through the wall and she has no idea what's going on.
1: Okay, this next scene is one of my favorites. It's like the line is burned in my brain. When as like there's chaos everywhere. There's like kids screaming and like gunfire and explosions and spikes walking around with like this smile on his face. <laughs> like, well, wow, this is just me.
0: He's like so pleased. He's like, oh, this is like heaven. Well, because in his, he's like, he's like, I didn't even set this up. He's like, I'm gonna run with it though. Because I mean, like we said earlier, like I think that Spike just likes chaos, whether he caused it or not. Like I think Mm -hmm. he just likes chaos.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Around
0: him for his own benefit, which would really help him in this case.
1: Yeah. No. Exactly. You see him, and I think the fact that he isn't super organized or a super big planner. Like, is an asset to him in this episode because mm-hmm. all this stuff happens and he's like sweet and he just rolls with it. Versus, yep. I think someone who's maybe a little more organized would be like, oh, oh, I'm not ready, you know? So, Xander is like, The lady said to stay put. And Buffy says, You would take orders from a woman, which this is clever because this is kind of going back to the conversation that Buffy and Xander had with the whole Larry situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she says, are you feeble in some way? And Xander sees the picture of the three of them and realizes that Willow was right and must have amnesia. Um, and Buffy says, I was brought up a proper lady, not meant to understand things, look pretty, and someone will marry me. And Xander, this ain't no tea party, princess. Sooner or later, you're going to have to fight. And I think that that's really clever. Again, I know everything's clever in this episode, but he's, <laughs> and I think this is the writer's like trying to tell us this is as if Xander and Buffy were having a conversation in as their actual characters saying like at some point Buffy mm-hmm. you have to fight you can't keep running away from your responsibilities. Yeah. She says fight these low creatures I'd rather die and he says then you'll die which I feel like yeah she she fought the master and she ended up dying but then she also like will die if she doesn't too because someone has to take that role, you know? Yeah. It's just really clever. Then Angel shows up. He's like, oh, thank goodness you guys are here. It's chaos out there. And they're both like, who are you?
0: <laughs> yeah, but he has no idea what's going on.
1: Oh, I love how they keep like introducing new characters who have no idea what's going on. They keep having to like rehash everything. Because yeah. well,
0: you forget you're like, oh, this already happened. and Someone comes in. You're like, oh, it's like Angel and Buffy and Xander. And then there's like a long pause and they're both like, who are you? And it's just, it, it it like hits you again. You're like, oh, that's so funny. I just forgot that they don't know who he is.
1: Oh, this the scene. No, okay. okay, this. Scene oh my I literally, I <laughs> full
0: out belly laughed when freaking Willow I goes through the goes through the wall and Giles gets like, literally like terrified. He like throws things. I think what made me laugh so hard was he like composes himself and he goes, all right. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> he even ask questions. Like, he just like adjusts super fast. It's
1: so no, okay. to me. What makes this moment better is you guys know what he was doing, right?
0: He was cross-referencing? <laughs> <He's> cross-referencing. <laughs> of course! <laughs> I know. See, I was about to say, I was like, what's fighting to me is the build-up to it. He's like sitting there cross-referencing. And then he was like, <laughs> he's he like crashing out in the window. And he kind of like turns his head and he's like, meh. And then he goes back. And then Willow comes in. He throws things. That, it's just the build-up. The scene is Perfect. And I forget about it every time. And then the scene comes and then I remember it, and I'm like, Oh, yes. And then he like asks her, he's like, Well, he's like, What are you? And she's like, Well, I'm a ghost. And he's like, Oh. And he's like trying to be nice. He's like, Oh, of course.
1: Of course, you're a ghost. So Angel is incredibly confused. Xander's like, Do you live here? <laughs> and Angel's like, No, but you know that. And I love the way he says it because I think Angel believes that Xander is being snarky with him like he normally is. Like, do you live here? And Angel's like, no, but you know that. Like, kind of like, get off my back. Stop being annoying. Which I think to be
0: fair, (laughs) like, Xander is kind of always, like, bagging on Angel. So it totally makes sense that Angel isn't picking up on it.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, so this moment, I didn't catch this until the last rewatch. So Angel has seen Buffy. He's had a conversation with both Buffy and Xander, and he hasn't said anything about her outfit, which is why Buffy dressed up, because she thought that Angel would like her more if she had the dress on. But what does he notice? Her hair. Because when she turned into 18th century Buffy, her wig became her actual hair. And so you notice at the beginning of the episode when Buffy mentions about her hair, Angel doesn't notice her hair and that. But he notices it here because it's not actually Buffy's hair, which shows that Angel truly sees Buffy. He knows when she's not herself and she knows when she's like, yeah, when she's anything else. And I think that that's really interesting. Like he picks the straw out of her hair in the beginning of the episode. But in this one, he's like, doesn't even notice her clothes. He's just like. What happened to your hair?
0: Does that make sense? That's really interesting. And like, I totally understand what you're saying. I, like when I first watched this, I didn't pick that up at all. I viewed it as like a guy's never noticed what happens with girls' hair because he's like, what's up with your hair? So in my mind, I was like, he probably doesn't even notice. It just looks a little off. Um, And I kind of viewed it as like, like how every guy doesn't really notice like, like details about girls. But that's really interesting that he noticed Buffy's hair in the beginning of the episode and then mm-hmm. noticed it this time. But yeah, that's true. That's interesting.
1: Well, because, I mean, all right, if you're looking at Buffy, how she was dressed in that scene, what would you notice first? The hair or the dress?
0: Well, yeah, obviously the dress. Well, actually, The dress. Know.
1: Because she has like really dark, long brown hair. So I feel like I would notice that first. She does, but the dress is like this really hot pink, very poofy dress, you know? I think you just meant to
0: notice the, the dress first. I think I personally would notice the hair first yeah. because I love hair. But I think that, You're meant to notice the dress first. (laughs) Leah being the queen of fashion says, I wouldn't notice the huge poofy pink dress. I'd notice the hair. (laughs) I I told you
1: I don't like the dress. I think I would try to ignore the dress first, but. Yeah, I just think it's interesting that like at the beginning of the episode, you know He's picking strata of her hair and says I didn't I didn't notice your hair like because he's talking to her He sees her he sees the woman that he loves and he sees her heart versus in this one He's like squinting at her like what's up with your hair And that? He knows he realizes yeah. something is off about buffy before they even tell him what's happening So I just thought that was really cool. And I think that goes to show that angel actually Sees who Buffy is inside and cares for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought that was a really cute little moment. And maybe again, I'm reading into things, but I think that that's no, that intentional. So Cordy comes in, explains everything, and then like monologues for a second and then stops and goes, Hi, how are you? Oh my gosh. Her like endless
0: attempts to try and get Angel to notice her is so funny to me. I mean, she yeah. seems to be the slayer at dating, so why isn't she better at it?
1: Oh <laughs> good burn dance. Angel's
0: different though, because he's not a real guy.
1: Um, the lights go out. Buffy grabs Cordy. Cordy's like, Do you mind? <laughs> Oh, it's uh,
0: so funny she's funny in every episode but they give her more um air time because she's literally stuck with the gang the whole episode i think this yeah. is one of the first episodes where she's and they're like stuck with them other than like out of sight out of mind but she was only with buffy for a lot of it but this Like when I get like more courty time, I just get so happy because she just really lightens up the mood.
1: And then, okay, this is also really cool because Xander starts to take charge here. He says, you take the princess and secure the kitchen to Angel. And he says, Catwoman, you're with me. And you notice how nobody questions it and how Angel actually takes orders from Xander. And I think this is interesting because I felt like obviously there's a rough relationship between Xander and Angel, but I think that when Xander is right, he's right. And Angel actually like has the humility to listen and follow.
0: I think it's more along the lines of like both of them recognize there's a bigger picture. And so Mm. Angel's just kind of like, this is not worth being like, why are you in charge? Because Angel is solely focused on Buffy right now. So I think that he would have taken orders from everyone if it meant that Buffy would be herself again, not to mention they're all used to listening to Buffy anyways and so I think that it's they needed someone to kind of tell them what to do because Buffy's usually the one who does it, and Willow's gone. She was taking orders before.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That that would make sense. It might have been completely different if Xander had said, um, "Cordelia, go with Angel, and I'll take Buffy," because Angel might have protested and been like, "No, no I want to go with Buffy." Yeah. 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 Yep.
0: Okay, I have a question. When they get <laughs> I into the kitchen, there's a vampire in the house.
1: Yeah. It doesn't make
0: any sense because
1: here's the thing,
0: even though they are like mystically whatever I was about to say, I don't think. No, but here's the thing. They're still bound by the rules of vampires because Willow's a ghost. So she's bound by the rules of a ghost, which means she can't touch anyone. So it doesn't make sense that there's a vampire in the house because like you don't see Spike or anyone else entering any homes. Like it doesn't mean it's a free for all. It means you turn into whatever your costume was, the rules going along with that. So it doesn't make any sense that there's a vampire see, in the I, house. I viewed it as like Buffy's no longer Buffy, so it's not her house. But it's so the vampire can get in. But it's but, Joyce's. Oh, I was about to say. I was like, I can see them thinking that way unless Joyce somehow got a costume. And was a different <laughs> person. Then I could see the vamp coming in, but they don't explain that. So yeah. I, I, I see, I see what they were trying to do, but I also see the flawed nature of it.
1: Yeah, and there, there's also a really big problem here too because, okay, so let's say that it was actually a kid dressed up as a vampire okay oh, so then they're somehow true. able to yeah and they're somehow able to circumvent and come to the house then why is angel trying to stake this because he clearly asks buffy for a stake he's planning on yeah, killing this then it's person not a kid
0: then it's yeah be an and it's
1: one. not if it was an actual vampire then it shouldn't be in the house so this is a very very clear like it's a continuity error. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, this has bothered me for so long, and I've thought so long and hard about how it could work, but there's just no way. Yeah, I think to, it was
0: just a simple mix-up. Yeah. I've never noticed that. Mm-hmm. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, of all things, why was it a vampire? Like they could have literally That's had literally anything thought, else was in like, the why house. Wasn't
0: a demon? Why wasn't it like anything? Like, but it had to be like you know, vampires. Like. Ugh.
1: Yeah. So Buffy sees Angel's true face and screams and runs, which again, probably Mirrors reading into Angel. things, but uh huh. Yeah. yeah. I, I she's scared of Angel. It. I yeah. think
0: that it's more of like she's scared of the vampire in him because, mm-hmm. like, there is a part of her that is designed to kind of fear that and designed yeah. to kind of like get rid of it in a way. And so I think that there will always be a part of her that kind of. Hates and also fears the demon in him. And I think it has nothing to do with Angel because Angel is such a sweet person and like really just like kind and really good to her. I think it's just the nature of like his demon. I think
1: it's supposed to be the fact that Buffy is not Buffy right now. And so if Buffy were anybody else, then she probably would be scared off by Angel and run away. But when Buffy is herself, Like she cares for Angel and she's able to see past that vampire face and see who he really is too, you know? Um, So in the library, Willow's trying to catch Giles up on everything and she's sitting in front of a book and says, I don't even know what I'm looking for and I can't even turn a page. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then this, okay, I love this scene because their conversation is so natural because obviously you have to progress the story somehow. You have to make a connection that it was Ethan Rain's costume. And I love how they discover it because it feels very natural. Willow tells him how everyone was dressed. Mm-hmm. Giles knows, uh, wants to know what she is. She says, I'm a ghost. And he's like, the ghost of what exactly?
0: No, no he's trying and, to be all subtle about it.
1: Right. Which is, I feel like, what Giles would do. And then Willow gets defensive and says, this is nothing. You should see what Cordelia was wearing Mm -hmm. and then tells him about the cat costume. And he was like, good Lord, she turned into an actual feline and then they realize, oh no, she didn't. And then make the link to, she got her, her costume somewhere else.
0: Yeah. It was very, I I noted that too. Like it it seemed very smooth in its execution and really great writing. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's very interesting to find out how they figure out things in every episode. Some of them seem a little bit more believable than others.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. but this one was very smooth. Yeah. Because you have like the actual conversation they're having, but then you also have Willow's insecurity and dressing sexy yeah. and thinking that Giles is judging her when in yeah. actuality, Giles isn't even thinking about that. Yep.
0: Yeah. I, I will say though, this next scene mm-hmm. killed me because it's like Spike, right? And he's like rallying <laughs> his troops or whatever. But what kills no. me is they're all like little kids. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I, like, I was dying because like, Spike is sitting there like, all right, guys, we're gonna go to. It's like literal children, and spider's yeah, like trying to rally them behind him. It was so funny every time in this episode when he's like storming off, and then they're all the, the little, little demons, demons are, like, behind him. I just kept laughing. I was like, "This is so funny because, like, it seems silly, but like they're actually really scary—like uh heavy, tough, strong demons behind them. Obviously, if they can hold." Angel and Xander, which is a whole other thing. Uh, as Angel as a vamp and Xander as a soldier can hold them behind when he's, like, tormenting Buffy. That's a whole other thing. But I'm, like, when you think about it, they're, they are really strong. They choked that old lady out. So it got to be pretty
1: strong. <laughs> but I'm cracking up the same as you guys because Spike's literally just rolling with the chaos that's happening. <laughs> he's and like, he's, like, oh, over there with his gang demon. of, like, yeah. five-year-olds. He's, like, and oh, he's there's like, kids guys. that are
0: demons? All right. I'll use them. Come on, guys. <laughs>
1: He's like monologuing to them about his place. He's like, guys, there's a slayer out there. And they're all like, we don't know what a slayer is, but yay, we'll follow you, Spike. (laughs) Oh, That cracks me up. Yeah. And also, shame on Angel, Cordelia, and Xander for talking about it in the open. Like, come on, guys.
0: Yeah. I think they're really thinking about things rationally. That is
1: true. I guess we'll give them a little bit of grace. So, yeah. Then we have, as Spike's talking about Buffy being all alone, we see Buffy in an alley all by herself and creepy pirate Larry finds Buppy. <laughs> they played on the whole narrative again where he's like pretty, pretty. So again, he's
0: only seeing her as his fragile, pretty mm-hmm. and like
1: helpless girl, which she was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in Ethan's shop, Giles and Willow find the back room with the Giannis, I said it right, right? Yeah, Giannis yes. statue. <laughs> um, and its eyes are growing green. And then Giles kind of explains it's the division of self, all that stuff. And then Ethan shows up and instantly Giles tells Willow to leave, which is our big clue Oof. that Ethan is either more dangerous than he seems or something else is going on. I think it's interesting um, that
0: Willow doesn't question it. She doesn't sit there yeah. and go, like, Giles, why? I think – I think a little part of her is scared because she's never seen Giles like this. this, And so she's just kind of like, okay, hopefully we'll talk about this later and we'll deal with it later. But I think it's just very interesting that she's like, okay. And she just leaves. Yeah. Okay. So I wrote down in this scene. So she talks about in the library how she can't move the pages because she's a ghost. Uh And yet she walks out and the curtain completely moves from her shoulder. (laughs) I was like, if I were like the videographer, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, okay, let's keep redoing it. Make sure that you do not touch anything when
1: you walk out. Well, it's not just that. Willa leaves, and then you know, you cut back to Giles and Ethan as they're talking, and you hear the door shut as she leaves.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't get that! <laughs> oh
1: Which is hilarious. The sound editor there. was not thinking when they did that, yeah. All right, but then so I wrote in my notes, I was like, we're all confused. Does Giles know Ethan? Because they call each other by name. And I said, how is the fuddy duddy librarian going to fight Ethan? Because, like, that's what we're all thinking, right? Like, how, yeah. what, what is Giles going to do? And then we hear, hello, Ethan. And then we hear, hello, Ripper. Yeah. You're like, and Ripper, <laughs> what is this? And <laughs> Giles has a look of, I can only describe it as quiet intensity.
0: Yep. He looks so hot. It's kind of like unlocking like (laughs) this side of him that he's kind of been like suppressing. And so I think that it's one, it's obviously to let the, the audience know like there's something about Giles we don't know. But I think it's also kind of showing Giles like, okay, you know who I am,
1: which means like fear what I can do to you. Right. Yeah. Um, So back in the alley, Larry has Buffy and then Xander tackles him and fights him off. And Cordelia comes in and goes, Buffy, are you okay? I just love this scene because you have Xander who totally just tackles Larry, is wailing on him. And Cordelia comes up and is genuinely concerned about Buffy, asking if she's okay. It just is really cool to see these two characters acting in a way that we don't normally see them. Then she again goes off and is like, oh, she's got this thing where she thinks, oh, forget it. So he doesn't think that Angel's actually a vampire a yeah, good
0: point? Angel's a good vampire. He
1: would never hurt you. Yeah, and Angel's over there like, okay, moving on. <laughs> so Xander wails on Larry. And then it's strange, but beating up that pirate gave me a weird sense of closure.
0: <laughs> I know. Like Xander's on the inside like, ah. Sm- you know yeah, I right. do <laughs> And then Spike and his minions, he's like, there are they are. <laughs> <worse." laughs>
1: it's like spikes marching through the alley with like this tiny little army of preschoolers
0: like he kind of thinks like hey if even if this doesn't work out it sure is fun true
1: yeah and then xander once again in charge and angel picks up buffy saving her oh and then this scene man okay so i like wrote down every bit of dialogue because (laughs) it's so good ethan aren't you pleased to see your old mate rupert Giles this halloween prank stinks of ethan rain. Okay, you notice how ethan is kind of like He's he's putting on a show. He's twirling. He had turns his back on giles giles I watched he takes his eyes off of ethan just once as he moves position But other than that he has his eyes pretty much locked on ethan the entire time And then ethan says it's genius the very embodiment of be careful what you wish for Giles says it's sick Brutal and it harms the innocent Ethan says oh, we all know you're the champion of innocence and in all things good Rupert It's quite a little act you've got going on here. Just says, it's not an act It's who I am and then Ethan says who you are the watcher. So he knew he's a watcher Gotcha. Um, he says sniveling tweed clad guardian of the Slayer and her kin. So he knows Buffy's the Slayer
0: Yep. Hmm. That's what I, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. And he says, I know who you are, Rupert, and I know what you're capable of. And it's like, I forget they tease so much in this episode and we know mm-hmm. nothing about you know Giles nothing. at this point. And so it's like, this is such a shock because you're is. like, first yeah. of all, Giles is not just a librarian. Yeah. But you're also just like, what has Giles done? Who is this guy? Like, who is Giles? Like, it's just such a, oh my gosh. the is a ripper? Yeah. This scene just kind of takes you like upside down. Yep.
1: He says, I know what you're capable, of, but they don't, do they? They have no idea where you come from. We're like, tell us. I know. And, I know.
0: Let us know.
1: And then Giles doesn't an answer and says, um, tells him to break the spell and to leave. Ethan says, Why should I? What's in it for me? And Giles whispers, You get to live.
0: What's <laughs> getting on here? Terrifying. <laughs> like, and then Giles just beats him up.
1: Like, yeah, well, Ethan's like, insane. oh, Rupert, you're scaring me. And Giles. Punches him in the gut, then slams his head down onto his knee and throws him back. My gosh. Giles, dude, again. And does
0: it with like ease. <laughs> it's just like, it's crazy because like we have not seen much of Giles and stuff. And so it's like to see him in this way, you're like, where has this been the whole time? Like, I know I I will say there is some inconsistencies because like in, um, the witch, he seems so like helpless the whole episode. I was like, man, if we knew you could be like this BA, then why didn't you like
1: help out a little bit more? And I
0: mean, we, we do know that this, the Ripper storyline, which they will develop more, but was written into in the second season. And so the first season, they did not have this kind of backstory for Giles, which you can kind of tell there's like a difference. Yeah. I wish that they had though, just because they could like do
1: more subtle stuff in the first season. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, honestly though, I mean, yes, they didn't have a written, but they do a fairly good job in the witch though. There are some things, there's, there's some, some things, subtle yeah. things that are in there that uh, we can't talk about yet. I will talk about it at some point. Um, they could have done more, but it's not horribly inconsistent. I think there's, yeah. there's bigger inconsistencies like with the vampires and stuff, but Yeah. Oh, I know. That's just insane. And like Ethan Rain's yell when he hits him and punches him. It sounds like they did a good job with the actors. They're like, make it sound like it hurts because mm-hmm. they want to show the intensity and how fast Giles does it too. Yep. Like it is just insane. I couldn't imagine watching this for the first time like and when it noise. aired and yeah. being like, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. So back in the alley, Xander brings everyone into a warehouse and Spike and the gang have them surrounded and they end up breaking in. And Ethan, he's on the floor and he says, you said the Ripper was long gone and Giles is cleaning his, his hands, whereas oh thinking God. it's blood that he's wiping off yeah, of his that hands. That's the hottest thing I've ever
0: seen. I also just think that it's a fact of like Giles is showing that like he doesn't necessarily want to get his hands dirty figuratively Mm. and like obviously non-figuratively but like he will do what is necessary to get the job done and then he'll clean himself up and he'll go home and i think that it's just showing that like giles doesn't want to be like this he wants to be you know the librarian the watcher but in order to protect his slayer like he will do what is necessary he's such calm confidence in the scene it's just terrifying terrifying. yeah well because ethan is like you said the ripper was long gone and he doesn't even like respond to him in that way he just says tell me how to stop the spell Mm -hmm. and he says say pretty please and
1: then he just beats him up again like it straight in the stomach. Yeah. I think that Giles believes Ethan. I mean, we don't know Ethan very well. We just know what Giles is telling us. And from Giles's body language and the fact that he brought out the full ripper, we get a guess that Ethan is actually incredibly dangerous Yeah. and that Giles knows that Buffy herself is in danger. And so he is having none of Ethan's crap and is trying to save her, you know?
0: It's very much Um, like, I know you, I know what you're capable of, and I'm not going to allow it to go to its full extent.
1: Yeah. Well, and Ethan knows what Giles is capable of as well. So Giles doesn't feel the need to hold back. And back at the warehouse, Spike is mocking Buffy. He says, look at you shaking alone, lost little lamb, which I didn't think about it until this last time I was watching it. It's amazing the things that you pick up when you've been analyzing all the episodes that have mm-hmm. come beforehand. Yep. Like I'm picking up things I've never thought of before. Um, but Spike says, you know, the lost little lamb. Do you remember the master called Buffy that? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's
0: exactly In what I thought. In the first season?
1: Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And it it's funny because I think they are like actually trying to make the comparison between Buffy or 17th century Buffy as kind of who she was when she wasn't accepting her role. And then, you know, when she comes back, that's Buffy who's stronger and comfortable in her own skin and accepting of her role as a slayer. And that's how she was
0: like at the end of Prophecy Girl too, when she accepted her (laughs) role and was like, you know what, I'm going to go and go to the master
1: and try and kill Mm -hmm. him even
0: though I might die in the process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I thought that was interesting. And then Yeah, so then he slaps Buffy and I feel so bad because you see Angel struggling so hard back there trying to get free. By the baby demons though.
0: I kept laughing though. Like I I know that like they have super like natural powers or whatever, but I kept being like military Xander and like (laughs) demon Angel can't get past these like baby demons. I don't know. Yeah, it's
1: it's like a little child even holding Angel. We're like, come on, Angel. It seemed (laughs) kind of silly. Even though I know it works
0: in the universe that it is, it seemed kind of silly in my mind. He's just like he's like struggling to get
1: out and they're like two feet shorter than him. Yeah. Well, and it reminds me of some assembly required when he gets walloped by that vampire in the face with the shovel. And we're like, come on, Angel. We know you're stronger than that. Mm, You're like supposed to be the most fearsome vampire. I know. (laughs) Buffy's crying. Spike leans in. And then you have like the cool like flash. Um, back to Ethan and Giles, Giles like wailing on Ethan and then Ethan finally gives it up and says, break the statue, which I get the feeling that for Ethan to actually like give it up, he must've been tortured by Giles pretty severely. While, <laughs>
0: yeah. He doesn't seem like somebody who would crack pretty soon.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting too that Giles has been pretty stoic and calm and cool this entire time. But as soon as Ethan says, break the statue, I don't know if you noticed Giles's face and his whole body language stopped being like cool and in control. And it's like he let that mask slip and you saw how actually worried and anxious he was mm-hmm. with how fast he ran to the statue and mm-hmm. smashed it.
0: Yep. Yeah. I think that he knew that if he showed Ethan that he was like, very scared and very like worried and everything, that one, I think he was afraid he would make too many emotional decisions. But two, I also think that he was afraid that Ethan would use that against him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then this moment, Spike grabs Buffy's hair, which once again, it's the hair. He grabs her hair. And I think it's interesting that Xander's the one who breaks free, not Angel. Xander breaks free and Willow says, now that guy you can shoot. And then Xander holds up the toy gun just as Spike holds up the wig. And then, yeah, honey, I'm home.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I love that line because it's kind of like, a, again, Buffy loves like pinning like really famous quotes and then putting it on their head. So it's kind of like a typical woman is waiting for her husband to come home and has done nothing all day, but just clean the house. And it's like waiting for him to be like, honey, I'm home. But in this case, she's like, I'm back. I'm the B.A. Mm-hmm. person. I'm back from who I am mm-hmm. and I'm home and I'm going to kick your butt. It's just kind of like Mm -hmm. a moment. I loved
1: it. Yep. I also feel a little bad for Xander because he was this close to saving Buffy. Like this close. He almost had his moment. (laughs) Yep. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Then Buffy wails on Spike. And
0: Spike literally um, runs away. I think it's interesting that like Spike knew, okay, as soon as Buffy's herself, I'm not well prepared enough to fight her. And so he knows, okay, I need to run away. I need to regroup. It's just very interesting that we're kind of seeing Spike like know his limits and is like trying Mm. to plan accordingly. But I also think like Xander and Angel were there as well. Like it wasn't just Buffy. It was like he knew he wouldn't win. But honestly, like, yeah, I think Xander and um, Angel definitely were part of it. But I think that even if it was just Buffy, I don't think he would have fought her because I think he knew he needed more time.
1: I also think it's interesting that Spike's weapon of choice in the two episodes that we've seen him so far have both been Poles he grabs another pole in this one remember in the in school hard he was grabbing a pole and he was poking holes into the ceiling to try and shish kebab hmm. buffy when she I was walking that's interesting i mean uh, they make sense for the episode but i don't
0: think that's his like weapon of choice
1: Well, it's been like what we've seen, but he also, remember he grabs the pole and then she says, do we really need weapons for this? And he goes, I just like them. They make me feel all manly. (laughs) And so I think it's interesting that he grabs a pole in this one because he's like, ah, the Slayer is (laughs) back. And so like to overcompensate, he grabs a pole. (laughs) I don't know. Just kind of odd. There's probably like the one prop they have around other than the uh, fire axe that they always have in every episode. Buffy says, you know what? It's good to be me. Once again, reaffirming, I feel like that she's becoming more and more comfortable in her role as a slayer. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Giles turns to see that Ethan is gone, which he must have not wailed on him too much if Ethan was able to get up and run away. Or he's
0: like crawling away as Giles is busy like crashing the statue.
1: And Xander, hey, Buffy, welcome back. And Cordelia asks if they remember everything. And Xander is like, yeah, it was like I was there, but couldn't get out. Okay, Which okay. I, so I, did you
0: write this down about the Okay, pack? go ahead. I know what you're gonna yes, say. Go, go. Like, my goodness, if you can remember this and own up to this, why uh, can't you just own up to the pack? Why can't you just own up to the, <laughs> the crappy things you did as a hy- hyena? Like, oh my gosh, I could talk about this for like an hour. I'm like, why do you are you so selective about stuff like this when you like were trying to hurt your friends? You
1: can't even apologize for it. Pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard because to be fair. I think that there are things that Xander should own up for, for sure. But I don't know that I would want to admit that I remember, like, trying to rape my friend and knowing that, like, that wasn't actually me. I don't know. I mean. Yeah, but you still caused I damage.
0: You should still apologize for it, even though it wasn't you. Yeah,
1: I agree. I don't know. That's hard. But, yeah, he's like, I remember being a tough soldier, but I don't remember, you know, being the creepy misogynistic <laughs> rapist. True. Yeah. And I think it's so funny how Cordelia is talking about how her outfit was totally skin tight. And then all of a sudden angel pops and they're not even listening to Cordelia mm-hmm. it says, are you okay to Buffy Cordelia's like, it feels like I was talking, my lips were moving. She's like, I was talking about my skin tight outfit. How are you mm-hmm. not paying attention angel?
0: I, although I love this line with Xander where he's just like me, Cordelia, like you're not getting between those two. And I think that it was like a very, one, it's a very like sweet moment of just being like, Cordelia, back off. like Let Angel have his girl. But I also think that it was mature. like It showed a little bit of maturity on Xander's part that he recognized that he shouldn't be getting in between Buffy and Angel. And I mm-hmm. think that it kind of showed a little bit of growth on his part. I think he was mm-hmm. also talking to himself as well. He was like, I'm not going to get in between them, them two. You're not going to either. So we should both just move on.
1: Yeah, I think we're starting to see, and I think I said this a couple episodes back, we're seeing steps of Xander coming to terms with the fact that Buffy has eyes for only Angel and vice versa. Um, I don't think he's totally there yet, but I think that he's starting to get there.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then they're like, where's Willow? Yep, yep. Where is Willow? Oh, I love this moment. and I, I love how she looks at the ghost costume, is about to put it on. And then, like, Alison Hannigan does such a good job of having, like, a mental dialogue. And you can see what she's thinking. She's like, oh, I should put this on. I don't feel comfortable. And then she kind of recaps how she's been kind of, like, the backbone of this whole episode. She's helped everyone else out. And she's like, you know what? doesn't matter. I'm just going to leave it. And then she walks off all confident. He's but so I just – I love this part because, like, one, it's just awesome to see Willow confident. But two, I love that Oz notices her a second yeah, time. I was about to say. But I love that the first time he noticed her wasn't when she was wearing like her sexiest outfit mm-hmm. and feeling mm-hmm. her most confident. I love that he noticed her when she was like being herself and she was in like the Eskimo costume and like was just kind of like happy being there. And I love that that was the first time he noticed her. But then he notices her again the second time when she's like super confident and sexy. And it's just like, I love how they show that like he, was attracted to who she was not necessarily what she was wearing and like the whole episode was pretty much like willow wanting to be seen wanting to be Mm -hmm. noticed by xander Mm -hmm. and was like trying Mm -hmm. to put on this show of like who she was and at the end of the episode it's like willow kind of is comfortable in who she is now and doesn't really care who's watching. And that's when Oz notices her. Like, it's just so sweet. Yeah. I appreciate, like, what Leah said. They didn't have this episode first where he's like, oh, who is that girl? But in this phrase, like, when he sees her as a Eskimo, first of all, he only sees her face. He doesn't see her body because she has like a full on costume. And he says, who is that girl? He's very like enamored, like, wow, what the heck? This like this girl seems super awesome. And then when he sees her again, it's like, who is that girl? It's like an emphasis on the is part where it's like, man, this girl's so versatile. Like, I really want to get to know her. Obviously, other
1: than the fact that she looks completely hot, but it's just very sweet. This episode is all about like the duality of our nature. And we have, you know. Angel and Buffy. We want we have Angel wanting Buffy to see him as human. We see Buffy wanting Angel to see her um, on the inside as well as the outside and to accept her for who she is, Slayer and not an regular girl. But then we also have Drusilla talking to Spike and saying, do you love my insides? Would she say like, do you like my insides as well as my outsides or something? And he says, mm-hmm. eyeballs to entrails. And in this moment, you're seeing that Oz is Liking Willow, are for all the sides that he yep. can see of her. Yep. It's just so cool. Yeah, I, I love I'm it. Just, like
0: I'm so excited to see like where their story progresses.
1: Yeah, I. Looked this up and I'm really excited to share this with you guys. So they actually decorated the inside of Oz's van because they didn't know if they were gonna show how it looked in there or whatever. And they said, if you had seen the inside of the van, you would have gotten a little glimpse of Oz's personality. They said the inside of the van was decorated like a love shack with a black light mirror ball blacklight posters on the ceiling and a beanbag chair. The whole van was carpeted and wild.
0: is oh, that crazy? I believe it. I you believe didn't it. even but- need to explain that to me, and that's already <laughs> what I saw in the van for him.
1: This, this episode is chock full of metaphor. Yep.
0: This whole bedroom scene with Angel and Buffy is very sweet. So cute. It's like one of those, like, conversations you have with a significant other like the very first one where you feel like you've exposed a little bit more about yourself and then you're able to have a conversation where you're like I understand you better and you get to like a deeper level like it's just such a sweet interaction but I think it's just like it's sweet because like the whole time Buffy has this insecurity of like Angel doesn't like me because I'm not the type of girl he likes. Mm-hmm. He always liked, you know, this type of girl. And, like, that's why she was in the predicament. She was this episode. And then for him just to be like, oh, I always hated those girls. Like, mm-hmm. he's like, I always wanted someone who was, like, interesting and, like, all of stuff. And so it's just, like, so sweet that, mm-hmm. like, he was kind of always looking for someone like Buffy. And Buffy was just very, like, insecure about something that wasn't even there.
1: I think it's interesting that she says she wanted to be a real girl for once, the kind of fancy girl he liked when he was human. And I think we're watching a lot of times that both Buffy and Angel have a lot of the same struggles and relate with a lot of the same things that their character is going through. Both of them want to be seen as normal because they're both not. And so and they will think that that's what the other person is looking for. You know, but in actuality, what the other person is looking for is someone who sees them for who they are and accepts them and just loves them. Yeah. yeah. And then she says, "You should probably tell me." And he says, "I should." And then they kiss, and it's just so sweet.
0: They're so cute, but like, it's also just it's sweet seeing both of them just kind of like open up to the other and kind of expose their insecurities.
1: Yeah. Then Giles goes back into Ethan's shop looking for him and sees the note, Be seeing you. And the episode ends with Giles looking ominously towards the camera with like this creepy know, music chills. playing. And you're just like, Whoa, who is Giles? Yeah. What is happening? Well, that's it. Ah, I love that episode. I mean, I could talk about that episode all day long. I feel like they're, it's so well done and it's just really enjoyable. And Yeah, I hope you guys liked it too.
0: I feel like season two really starts off with a bang. Um, But this is one of those episodes where I'm like, see, I told you season two would get better. Like if you're watching with someone else, like there's just those certain episodes where like afterwards you're like, this is undeniably just a good episode. But not only that, but like it's very enticing because you start to see more depth in a lot of the characters and like when i first Mm -hmm. watched this i was like oh my gosh i need to watch i need to binge because i want to know what's up with giles i want to know what's going to happen with you know spike and cordelia and buffy and angel and oz and willow and like so many things like this is one of those episodes i just get like oh yay like i get so excited in season two i mean there have been so many episodes great before this like school hard but this one like i don't know
1: it's it's very it's easy to watch, but it's also really exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So yeah, that's Halloween. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. I I'm really enjoying this part of the season. I think we've got some really good stuff coming up ahead, and hopefully, you guys are enjoying it too. As always, you guys can find us on Instagram at Podcast, or you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And if you guys want no spoilers, then stick around for our Scooby secret section. If not, we will see you guys next week.
0: Welcome back to our Halloween episode where we talk about everything spoilers. Um, If you've been listening and then you were dozing off and you realize that you're on the spoiler (laughs) section, you should probably get off now. Um, (laughs) This is your fair warning. We will be talking about everything in Buffy um, and everything from the show Angel as well. So if you haven't seen Angel and you don't want to know spoilers, then probably shouldn't listen either. But if you want to, then you're welcome to stay we don't want to kick you (laughs) off but yeah we have a lot to talk about in this episode i know we say that in every single one but i feel like this is the most i have in correlation to many other episodes like a lot of them are just like oh here's the arc of this character but i have like a ton of like oh this reminds me of this specific episode this happens in this episode but um yeah what do you guys think
1: what do you have this episode is actually referenced, I feel like, for the rest of the show. And I just want to say, the show got a lot of mileage out of Xander turning into a soldier it for did. this I was, one episode. Yeah, I was
0: literally going to say that. I was like, listen, I know that sometimes you have to find some justification <laughs> for Xander like somehow being able to beat someone else. <laughs> but like, it was like six seasons later, and they're like, oh, this is a random missile we've never heard about. Sander, you happen to know anything about <laughs> it? And he was like, actually, I do from that one time when I. Because it doesn't make any sense because it's like Buffy never had some weird knowledge about the Victorian area after this. But like for some reason, Sander has like That's this gigantic. huge book of knowledge in but, his head. Here's the thing they're not going to need like Victorian like era facts in the random Scooby Gang. But like yep, his exactly. is going to be used a ton, mostly in season four, I feel like when like Riley's there. Um, there's a few times where he knows what he's talking about or like different stations or things like that. And I don't really remember much after that. They they bring it up. I kid you not, they bring it up in season seven where he's like, good thing I had that military training. And you're like, uh, what? <laughs> like, I, I remember like, I forgot about this episode and I was on a rewatch and it was like in season six and he mentioned something about military. And I was like, did I miss something? <laughs> like, <laughs> was Dan there like in the mil- Like, And then I had to have someone remind me that one episode where – he was a soldier for 45 minutes. I was like, that's what they're referring to? Like, yeah, <laughs> I understand. Like, it's, it's a show and you can do whatever you want. But like, I feel like they did kind of beat that horse a little, a little bit in the ground.
1: Yeah, I feel like, I feel like they did a fairly good job. They could have, they definitely could have used it more if they really wanted to, but I'm glad they didn't. I think season seven, we give it a pass simply because, I mean, Xander has been fighting next to Buffy for so long for him to kind of help her lead the potentials. It makes a lot of sense, but I will say that there have been a few, like not fan theories, but like when people talk about like, for instance, season four, I think is Easily one of the weaker seasons of the show and a lot of yeah, people I mean. have said it would have been really interesting if xander had joined the initiative and he hmm. used like his military training, it would have been because the initiative was supposed to be kind of like the misogynistic patriarchy, right? right. And it would have been interesting to watch Xander oh. kind of battle that inwardly. Mm. It would have given him somewhere to go with I his character. I also would have respected him more so
0: because I feel like he yeah. would have triumphed over that. They'd I don't think ha- they'd have to have him triumph. I, I don't know if it would have been uh, like I would have respected him for it. It really would have depended on how they did it, but I think it would have made it a lot of sense for his character because one, he was very Mm -hmm. lost in season four. He had no direction. he was. And two, Riley was like one of the only boyfriends that Xander didn't have an issue with. And so I think that he would have kind of fallen under Riley's lead because I think in part, Xander could have seen a part of himself in Riley. And so I think he would have been like, oh, well, if Riley can do all this, I can do it too. And like gone after
1: that. Well, it would have made more sense for the end of season four when everybody's kind of fragmented for Xander to kind of be wrestling with um, the initiative, kind of like what Riley was wrestling with, like instead of making it Riley's storyline, make it kind of um, Xander's storyline in that he's wrestling with his role in the initiative, but then also his friendship with Buffy and then watching mm-hmm. those two things clash. I think that would have been a really interesting storyline. Honestly,
0: line. anything other than what we got, in the second half of season four would have been probably yeah. better. I just yeah, it's just yeah. And I, I think not the big Riley fan. So I think four personally, yeah, season four is my least favorite just for many many reasons. Um, I think that the initiative was something that seemed kind of cool in the beginning, mm-hmm. but then I didn't really they like the airtime they gave the wrong things about the initiative a lot of airtime. Like they gave a lot of airtime to what's her face. For- well, Forrest and uh, the other dude. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The Graham. But I think yeah. it would have been really cool to see like what exactly the initiative does out of Buffy and like what it actually does like outside of just capturing monsters on campus. Like I feel like there was a lot about the initiative that we didn't really get to see that I would have wanted to. And they focused on, Things that I wasn't necessarily personally invested in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we'll get to all of that when we get there. But I mean, it came down to simply they had actors having to leave. And so they had to kind of scramble right. and yeah. figure out a storyline. And you had a lot of big actors that mm-hmm. had left at that point. So yeah, yeah, we'll get there. But yeah, I just thought that would have I, been kind of an interesting thing yeah. to do.
0: I did want to mention there is one thing that has always been interesting to me the idea that. Spike has always had an obsession with Buffy. And I really, really mm-hmm. love that because it's something I've noticed since the beginning of the show, even the first time yep. watching it through. But like when he first comes in, he like makes a big entrance and you notice that he notices Buffy. Like he's always intrigued with her. He's watching her in the bronze. And then he like makes a point to be like, oh, I'm going to kill you. And it's very theatrical, probably what he's done with other Slayers. But I think you start to notice it the most in this episode when he's like watching her and how he's fighting and he's like intrigued with her and he's like, wow, she's clever, she's good. And I think that it's like interesting knowing both of their storylines, but especially like how Drusilla eventually is like, you can't get that slayer out of your head, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, I don't get it. And then he comes back, ultimately falls in love with Buffy and all this stuff. I'm kind of of the personal opinion that before Spike fell in love with Buffy. He had a very huge obsession with her. Um mm-hmm. and then it eventually turned into love.
1: I agree with you, Leah, what you were saying about how this is the start or we're starting to see the obsession because he says to Drusilla, you know, that's why I've got to study this slayer once I know where I can kill her and once I kill her you can have your run of this place. What started out as a obsession and love for Drusilla like over time turned into an obsession for Buffy and I think it literally became I need to kill Buffy, I need to kill Buffy, or she made me seem so stupid and then and then Drusilla left him because she saw that obsession even before Spike himself saw it. And then Spike so obsessed with Buffy instead of being like, I need to win back. Drew thinks Buffy is the reason Drew doesn't love me. So I need Mm. to go back there. And then, you know, and then it just becomes this like cycle where eventually he comes back to Sunnydale in season four with the intent to like make Buffy's life miserable thinking that she ruined his life and instead, you know, falls for her and stuff. So I think, I think you're right, Leah. And I think it's just interesting how he's pretty consistent from the beginning on.
0: Yeah, that's one thing that I've always like loved Spike because I think that Spike is probably my my personal favorite character in this show. There, not I, Principal Snyder. Not Principal oh, Snyder <laughs> close, close second. Um I think that I really I think it's probably like him and Buffy sometimes go back and forth. Buffy is the person I, I root for the most in the show, whereas Spike I think is just the most interesting character to me. But I think that he's always been interesting to me because he is so consistent. Even when his character changes and may look necessarily different, he is so consistent in his desires and what motivates him. Like, he's just a very well-written character
1: hmm Yeah. And I think about season seven, I think it's empty places where Buffy is at her lowest and Spike comes to her. And you remember his speech that he gives her? He says, mm-hmm. "He says, I see you. I know you, Buffy. He goes, I've seen you at your worst. I've seen your best and I still love you. And I think that is literally like the full circle of his arc where he... Um, so that's not an arc anymore. It's it literally comes full circle for his character when he's talking here and he says he has to study or he has to know her. He really does accomplish that because I think by the end of season seven, Spike really does know her very well. Yeah. Um, and there's a part of her that he does see. Um, and this is not me saying that he is good for her. And this is not me saying that Buffy is equally as into Spike, but I do think on Spike's part, he does succeed in actually knowing Buffy. Yeah, so. I agree. Um, I also wanted to mention that picture that they have, where Buffy and Willow are looking up the noble woman, and it says Sarah Goodfriend. Do you guys remember an angel? Darla tells, I think it's uh, Lindsay. She tells Lindsay, "I don't even remember yeah. my real name mm-hmm. anymore." Yeah, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I think that. that this might have been her actual real name because, of course, the Watchers would have stuff on her, maybe even stuff that she didn't know they had.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think it probably was her. Cause like they wouldn't just like write down like, one of Angel's exes in a book unless it was, like, yeah, a that, major one. And they were together yeah. for a hundred years. But like that's, it also, has to be that's also what I thought about. It's like, why would they wa- why would they write down Ren-tick. a random girl that, you know, Angel was into when he was human in a watcher's guide? Like, there's no purpose for that. Yeah. Are they going to write down every single one of Buffy's boyfriends? No. Like, they wouldn't write down Riley. They'd probably write down, like, like, Parker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that would be so <laughs> of, well, actually, Scott. They, yeah. they might write down Riley because he was in the, <laughs> in, in the initiative but they're not going to write down all the insignificant people they're going to write down the people that you need to know about and so it only makes sense that they would write down darla because a she's a vampire b she's always associated with angel mm-hmm. and like c she's the one who sired him so it makes sense that if you're reading up on angel you're going to find out about his sire Yep, exactly. Yeah.
1: And the outfit that Sarah Goodfriend is wearing is very, very similar in style. Um, it looks like it's in the same century or the same time period as when we see in Becoming Part One, we see mm-hmm. Darla she changing Saracen. or siring Angel. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When they go in the bathroom and they're talking, they have that whole like dialogue of like, oh, we should like go and like look at the, the look books. at the watchers' guidebook to figure out stuff about Angel. She says, most importantly. It would be wrong. And that is like exactly how Faith slash Buffy says it. Uh over her body in season four. She looks in the mirror and she has that whole monologue of pretending to be Buffy.
1: And she says exactly the same. She's like, it would be wrong. Every time she says that, I think of her saying that Mm -hmm. to herself in the mirror. Yeah. It's like said
0: the exact same way as if she's like trying to convince herself that's like
1: what she needs to be. And Faith does that. Yeah. I really liked the moment when Buffy has changed into the noble woman and they're in the house and Buffy sees that picture of herself and she says, this could be me. This is some other girl. I don't like this place and I don't like you. I want to go home. It reminded me of the season six in Normal Again, the mental hospital where she says, I don't like this place. I want to go home. This is some other girl. And I just like, I keep looking for little moments in here where i'm like ooh where could buffy have been sent to the mental hospital like does she ever have flashbacks is there ever any like foreshadowing for that
0: right that's so, interesting yeah i really liked the ending like little scene with buffy and angel where he's talking about how like you know he really didn't like girls and he was kind of like always interested in girl like buffy um it made me think of the scene in angel when darla in season 2 comes back and she's, like, kind of teasing Angel about Buffy and is, like, oh, like, the cheerleader girl that you were so into, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then I think she kind of mentions at one point, like, we should, m- like, have sex or whatever because then, like, you'll lose your soul or whatever. And Angel pretty much makes this comment of, like, you were you were the one who sired me. I was with you for, ha- like, 100 plus years. Like, all this stuff. And he was, like, but, like, I was never in love with you. Mm-hmm, and... Mm-hmm. One, an amazing scene. One of the scenes that made me like actually enjoy watching Angel. I was like, yes, okay, go Angel. But it kind of made me think of that because it was like Angel, even when he was a human and for most of his like vampire life, did not experience love and was not really interested in the girls around him. Until he met Buffy. Yeah.
1: You're referring to the scene where him and Darla sleep together and she kind of does the reverse of Buffy and kind of gives him his, his spark his back. back. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, was it not good? And she's like, she's it's like, like the mirror of him and Buffy. <laughs> yeah, She's like, I used to do this for a living. And I know it was good. I was reading something really interesting today. and. We have some really cool friends on Instagram and they post some really interesting and insightful things. And I was reading someone's and I don't remember whose it was. So I apologize if you're listening and if that was you, sorry. Um, But they were posting about how there's a video that's going around where it shows, I don't know if you guys have seen it. It shows the screen time in minutes for each character throughout the entirety of the show. And what they do is they show different... It's on YouTube. You can find it. They show like graphs. And so they'll say season one and you'll see the character's graph like Buffy's. Hers obviously steadily increases through the entirety of the show because Buffy was the main character. But then you have all the other characters and you'll see like spikes, for instance, starts off the charts like he's not even there. And then it grows. And then over time, it gets higher and higher, including Willow, Giles, Xander, etc. But I thought it was incredibly interesting that Angel... You guys are not going to believe this, but Angel had the second most screen time apart from Buffy until halfway through season four. Isn't that crazy? Even though Angel had left the show, he clocked more minutes than Willow. Willow was the next one. She didn't surpass him in minutes until halfway through season four. What? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's Especially really crazy. Since
0: he's barely in there in season one.
1: Well, and the reason why, and so then I read like this, I went down this rabbit trail because I was like, this can't be right. And so then I was reading it and someone brought in like the whole history of the show, like when it first started and was talking about how the reason why Buffy survived past season one was because the network was like, we like Angel. We think he's going to be a fan favorite. We want to see more of him in season two and we want more Bangle. Right. So yeah, right. <laughs> and we all said, amen. And so they actually had written the Angel-centric episodes first In Season one before they wrote all the other ones and so then they the network and several other um, Producers and stuff really really wanted David Boreanaz or angel to have his own show and they kept telling him We want his own show and Joss was like "Uh, Like no because Joss's idea from the very beginning was vampires are evil vampires are don't have souls the very fact that angels character was written in a lot of the rules for uh, vampires was written around Angel. They wrote, you know, that vampires don't have a soul because they wanted Angel to be the only one with a soul. Like they wrote a lot of different things. And so what ended up happening, I know this is really long, but what ended up happening was David Boreanas became kind of like the co protagonist with mm-hmm. Buffy. I mean, so much so that he outgrew the show and had to go have his own show. And so they were talking about how Angel himself has such an influence on the show. Whereas he progresses Buffy's arc a lot, Mm -hmm. and he also has a direct link to, I think, like three of the main villains, including himself. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of the villains would not be as impactful without their relationship to Angel and Angel himself is uh, a lot of times the catalyst for Buffy's growth and Buffy's character and stuff like that.
0: I also read somewhere that, um, that he's also the driving force of a lot of people's character arcs on the show angel that came from Buffy as well. He's the cause Mm -hmm. of Cordelia's growth of Wesley's growth of um, Darla's growth. Like a lot of the characters
1: wouldn't be the same without his character and his show, but he's just such an
0: important part of the whole verse.
1: Right. Exactly. And even Spike and Drusilla were such big villains in season two because of their connection to Angel or Angelus. Yeah. And so what my whole point with all of that is one of the biggest points that they brought up that I actually really agree with is they said, even Giles, and I, I've mentioned this before, back in season one, Giles and Angel are actually fairly close. Like there was a level of healthy respect there that they mm-hmm. had up until Jenny got killed. Yeah. And they were talking about how Giles' relationship with Angel was probably... Giles's biggest character arc, because you see the Ripper storyline coming in, then you see Jenny dying. Once Jenny dies, and once Angelus leaves the show, like we don't see have as big of a character arc for Giles throughout the rest of the show. Like Mm. he's still a great character. We still see his relationship with Buffy is like really interesting, but we never get that moment like we do with Jenny's death. We never get him like going full Ripper.
0: The gift is probably the The biggest when you see the biggest Ripper Giles because he kills someone. Mm
1: Sure, but that's like a small little moment, and that you small. don't really have like a Giles I know that's a big moment in the sense of, for the show, but in comparison to so many other things that are happening in that episode, like there's a lot of stuff going on, and for Giles too, like he just doesn't have a, any real like progression to his arc for the remainder of the series as much as we would see with Jenny and I actually really agree with that I think that that we will see more interesting stuff happening, but I think that once Angel leaves the show, we just don't see Giles progressing very much farther. So I don't know. I just thought that was very interesting. And um, I'm a little sad that they didn't go a little farther with Ripper other than the dark age that's no, next.
0: I, I think that I would have really loved to see more Ripper, Giles. Like I think that there should yeah. have been a flashback episode or more incorporated when it came to I like agree. combat stuff. Like I just feel like we're left wanting more. I think that his backstory does give him a huge edge and that it definitely does like mm-hmm. help explain why Giles is so like BA, but also like so willing to go into situations and do stuff and like definitely has a certain amount of like combat experience. Yeah. But I definitely feel like we're left wanting more. I know that us three have talked about off the off of the podcast when we were watching Angel before the Giles and Wesley have the same character trait of being able to see the overall picture and so Mm -hmm. they both are very much like the no one else is going to do this yeah and so I will which can obviously be taken to an extreme which it is with both of them before in both shows where they kind of try to take things too much on and they don't really think rationally and they just try and go for it because you know ultimately it'll be good for everyone um, We see that with Wesley Wesleyan trying to take Angel's son, and that ends up being bad. And, I mean, do I think that morally it's kind of a gray area for Giles to kill Ben? Yes. But do I kind of understand the idea yeah. of, like, killing a demigod who's slaughtered probably thousands slash millions and killing one guy who's associated
1: with her? Yeah. I think it's interesting too, because this is very consistent with um, even Giles wanting to get rid of the spike at the very end mm-hmm. when he tells Buffy that she's not being clear-minded. And when he allows Robin to go after him while he himself tries to Bait Buffy and he even asks her about Dawn and says, You were Mm -hmm. not willing to sacrifice her then. What makes it so different now that you keep Spike alive? Would you sacrifice Dawn now? You know, like, and uh, Giles has always been very much the do the wrong thing for the right reasons type, versus Buffy's like, You'll always do the right thing.
0: Giles is very much the embodiment of like the ends justify the means.
1: Mm Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So yeah, I know it's just interesting. And I think Giles is very consistent in that. But I wanted to talk about how, do you guys know the story about how Allison Hannigan and James Marsters um, got the uh, makeup team to dress them up as vampires and went trick-or-treating for Halloween around town? Oh, really? Yeah, did you guys know? There's there's pictures out there too of the of them both dressed all up in vamp vamp gear and vamp faces. And James Marsters has his shirt off, and they they made it look like he had carved I think it's like the word vampire or something into his chest. I have to double check what it is. But there's pictures of them. They had the makeup team do that, and then they went and trick or treated in L. A. Isn't that funny? Them too? Yeah, just them too.
0: That's so cute. I love that. Yeah, we'll have to
1: we'll have to post those pictures because they're really really funny. Um, and then just a few more things. Xander tells Snyder that one day he will tell him exactly what he thinks of him. And he does that in season four, Restless, during his dream. Snyder um, oh. appears to him during uh, Xander's dream. Yeah. And Xander tells him exactly what he thinks of him and kind of tells him off in that. Isn't that cool?
0: Oh, I would never picked that yeah. up. Yeah. That's really interesting.
1: Yep. Um, this is also the first episode that has Larry Blaisdell in it, yeah, who Larry. we're going to see in multiple episodes. He's in The Wish in the alternate universe. And I think it's really cool that they make Larry one of the white hats, like a really good guy that fights with Giles and Oz.
0: Yeah. Well, in the werewolf one too.
1: Yep. Yeah, when you find out he's gay. Mm-hmm. And eventually, did you guys know that Larry um got killed on graduation day? Is okay, that was, sad? I was about to say, I was like, I always forget that he gets like killed on that episode just because like I feel like he
0: grows a lot. Um, especially on like graduation part two. He's like helping Oz like set everything up and like is really like working hard and then he ends up dying and I'm like, oh that's so sad. Yeah, he was a
1: really he was a really cool side character yeah. that became so much more. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's really, I think that's one of the things that makes Buffy so great is they have all these side characters that come in and out of the show Mm -hmm. that they have like little mini arcs. Like you watch Larry literally go from being a bully to being a hero at the very end of three seasons. Yep. So I thought this was really interesting. I had never seen this before and I never even thought about it. But so that... 2 faced statue that Giles smashes, that prop is seen again in Tabula Rasa in season six when Giles puts his plane ticket in his pocket, and they believe that it's put there symbolizing him being torn between the United States and England. Isn't that interesting? And that Tabula Rasa is also the other episode where everybody loses their memory and doesn't remember who they are. Yep. That's interesting. So- Yeah. Isn't that cool? Mm. It's also seen again in dead things. And I think it was probably just a prop there. I don't think there was any like particular use for it. Um, and then, okay, I forgot about this one, but I thought this was really interesting. Okay. So you know how Buffy says to spike honey, I'm home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in season seven, End of days, it's the second to last episode, right before Buffy leaves to go find out about the scythe. She's walking down the stairs after talking with Faith, and Spike comes in the front door and he says, Oh, honey, you're home.
0: Oh, how cute! What the heck?
1: And that's and that's after the night that they spent together. And so, it was supposed to be coming full circle in the whole like acknowledging that. Spike does know Buffy and like kind of acknowledging where their relationship has come from. So I thought that was really interesting. That's so sweet. Yeah. Season seven has a lot of really cool Easter eggs and callbacks to things in the previous seasons that I never saw before. So I think that's it. I think we covered pretty much everything. I mean, I feel like we're very thorough. So well done, everybody.
0: Thorough or all over the place. Up to you guys. Yeah.
1: People are listening. Either way, the
0: information got out there. (laughs) True.
1: I wonder if there is anybody who actually like tunes out while they're listening to us and then comes back and they've never seen the show before and they're in the middle of Scooby Secrets and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa turn it off. <laughs> Chabby's over there talking about like Fool for Love and like and then uh, you know, Darla sleeping with Angel. They're like, when did that? We, happen? We like mentioned
0: like the show Angel. They're like, Angel has that show. Yeah, for real. Yeah. <laughs> like, I always think about that when we announce it in the beginning. I'm like, man, what if someone didn't know and they like were
1: just like not paying attention that's not our problem they should (laughs) have (laughs) left anyway thanks so much for listening guys we really enjoyed this episode and we're really excited to talk about all future episodes i mean when aren't we but i'm like really excited we're getting into some really good stuff now Mm -hmm. but anyway guys we will see you next time